Hello again, friends. It's the great Brian Last. It is Monday morning, March 5th, around 10.02 a.m. Eastern Time, and I'm uh, finishing this up. So uh, here's what I have for you today. It's a special episode, a conversation with Jerry Gray, and the genesis of it is about a week ago, a little over a week ago, I had just put up the new episode of 605, and I was still recording things all day, and I was chatting back and forth with Jerry Gray, and we decided, let's record something. You know, there's no time like the present. Let's get some stories on tape. And it just turned into one really great long conversation. So as you'll hear at the end of this, I say, hey, you know what? Let's just release this as a standalone episode because it also has a dual purpose in that it really can promote the GoFundMe page to help Jerry out. As everyone knows, he's battling stage four cancer. It's depleted his finances. He's having a really rough time. You'll hear more about it on this episode. But if you enjoy this show at all, if you enjoy any of the stories, if you laugh, if you find out something you never knew before, please consider going to tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy and donating whatever you can. A dollar, five dollars, whatever. Perhaps you're a secret millionaire and you want to be able to really help out Jerry Gray in his time of need. If you are listening to the show and enjoying him, I can't see why you wouldn't. tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. And I also want to mention that another member of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast family, the fine program that Scott Bowden does each week, Kentucky Fried Wrestling, along with our resident in-house art director, Travis Heckle, have designed a Jerry Gray t-shirt. It's, uh, you may remember this story on the show a few weeks ago. Don't drink the piss, Jake. Now in t-shirt form, you can get this by going to tinyurl.com slash Jerry Gray Respect. Uh, of course, this was what it was all about. It was about respect, showing respect. Tinyurl.com slash Jerry Gray Respect. Here's the really cool thing. All profits from this limited edition shirt go straight to Jerry's GoFundMe page. So by purchasing the shirt, all the money goes directly to Jerry, and that's the way it should be. Uh, with that, I don't know if there's really much else I should say. Uh, the original intention wasn't for this to be a standalone show. It's just what it turned into. So it's kind of you're just going to sit in and hear a conversation between Jerry and I. I hope everyone enjoys it. I hope if you do, you support the GoFundMe page, perhaps buy a T-shirt. And um, that's it for now. Let's go to the recording. I think I hear my baby crying in the background. Uh, Tally-ho, here we go. We're here again with Jerry Gray, and uh, we were actually just having a conversation. I stopped it mid-conversation. I said, no, 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 let's just take this. Let's record it. Let's put it on the show. And uh, we were talking about uh, the Von Erics, <laughs> and it somehow led to a story <laughs> that I hadn't heard where Jerry said, do you know the story about Fritz trying to put both blackjacks in the claw? And I just said, stop, 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 stop. I'm pressing record. <laughs> so uh, tell me, I don't know this story. What is the story? Okay, it was back in the 70s, but he's uh, he's there smoking his what the hell kind of cigarettes were they like one after another Paul mall or something, but he'd smoke like <laughs> yeah. one after another. And, and he's like in the dress room with both blackjack. So man, they were young and, you know, blackjack mulligans, like six, eight and Lanza, whatever he is, but they're both young, you know, <laughs> and Fritz is like, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I can put both of you in the claw and beat <laughs> you both at the same time. Seriously saying that to them. <laughs> and they're just like, what the hell blackjack? Because Blackjack's not the type, you know, to take no shit like that. But I just thought it was so damn funny. He's smoking a cigarette, half dead already, because all the cigarettes he smoked, and he's he's trying to figure out how he can, because he was pretty old at that time, you know, a lot older than Blackjack, I know that. 
And then, but it was just so funny though, trying to figure out, he was sitting there thinking like for the finish, trying to figure out how he can beat both of them <laughs> with the claw on each one. <laughs> oh God. I miss the yeah. claw. I, no one does the claw anymore. <laughs> there used to be multiple yeah, guys true. who did the claw, Von Raschke, any oh, German could do the oh, claw. Jesus. Oh yeah, all of them did the claw. And Pampero Furpo used to have, uh, you remember him, Furpo? Yeah, yeah, of course. Pampero Furpo, yeah, he... In Ohio, that's where I, you know, the Sheik's promotion and all that. But he was, he had a shrunken head. He would carry out, and he was, he was a good promo. <laughs> in the ring, it was, you know, he didn't do much, but he didn't need to because the promo he did, man, he was <laughs> convincing, definitely. That's the promo that influenced say. Randy Savage. Randy Savage stole his whole promo that's right. style from Pampero Furpa. Yeah, because yeah, because he was there as Randy Poffo right then at that same time, and he was just like it was so funny because Randy was, I mean, really little then. Randy Poffo, and he, uh, he was like uh, opening match. Mostly a job guy, pretty much when I watched it. And then uh, Lanny was the champion with Angelo, the tag team champion. So it was reverse roles, like uh, Randy never did interviews or anything. And uh, Angelo and Lanny were the tag team champions up there for the Sheik NWA, the world tag team up there in uh, Detroit and Ohio and all that. And then Randy, I don't think I ever seen him win a match, barely. I mean, he was really small at that time, too. But yeah, he. Uh, he came out of a shell later, but I didn't. I never thought he would be a promo like he did, and the, the charisma and everything at that time. So that's it, what you grew up seeing was the Sheik's TV in Ohio. Yeah, and then but at the same time it was uh, Cleveland and all the area, and they came to Akron too. Was Johnny Powers and Pedro Martinez, and that was actually that was better to me. Their promotion, NWF promotion. Yeah, NWF, that's like the, uh, that's like the forgotten promotion that no one talks about. That was I actually know. a pretty significant. Look at the the. It was Cleveland. It was upstate New York. They had the connections to Japan. It was a pretty big yeah. promotion that no one talks about. Yeah, I like that actually better than the Sheiks because they had like uh well they but they kind of worked together later before they they went out of business like in '74 I guess Johnny Powers and Pedro Martinez but. Before they started working together, kind of with the Sheik, but at first, I guess they just ran their own. I guess they owned their own, you know, like Akron uh, Powers owned that in Cleveland, and the Sheik didn't come there until uh, later. But uh, he actually packed the Akron armor when uh, Powers would have it with uh, Pedro Martinez. They would have like two twenty five hundred, three thousand people there every Saturday, and then the Sheik, when he came, it just started dying because. I, I heard they had two towns that night. They'd have Detroit, I think it was, and Akron, and everybody wanted to go to Detroit, of course, to Kobo. So he would send like the the B guys to Akron. So he kind of killed it. The Sheik did, but um, yeah, the Powers had uh, Johnny Valentine. I mean, big big names like that. Johnny Waldo Valentine, Von Eric. Yeah, yeah, he was really he was really good heel. Waldo Von Eric. Um, a lot of people might not remember some of them, but they were over at that time, like Chief Whitehall, Indian. Uh, but he had top names. I just can't think of all the, the big, big names. What well, about the Love Brothers? Yeah, they were there, too. That's right. They were one of the top tag teams. They were with Powers, yep. Uh, Love Brothers. I never got to see them. Uh, what were they like? Oh, yeah. Reggie Love reminded me a lot of Terry Funk. Just the He took crazy bumps like that. And he was really good talker, too. Reggie was. Uh, Hartford was kind of quiet, but the one that just died, Reggie, he was camera how old he was he was pretty old but he um he did a lot of crazy bumps like almost like uh not as good as terry funk but he was he was good though and then he uh i was there one time i told you i think out of that story already where they shot a gun at the akron armory oh yeah that's I right. you that or I might, yeah i might have told i don't know if i told you that i might have told greg oliver on the interview i did with him but they shot a gun at uh, the Love Brothers one night at the Akron Armory, a fan, and it just jammed right when he tried to shoot him, you know, shoot at him, right at him the second time, the gun jammed, and one of the security grabbed the guy. 
the funniest part was I didn't tell this, but the I forget which love brother it was peed his pants when that happened. You could just see. His... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell that on the the, uh, the interview Greg Oliver did, but uh, you left that out yeah, of the yeah. official obituary that Greg Oliver was working on. Yeah, peed his pants when the gun went off. That's a good good yeah, thing to leave out. That one. It was the quiet. It was the quiet one. that's oh, okay. still alive. <laughs> yeah, I would have never said if it was him. No, it was. They were good though. They definitely had a lot of heat. Love brothers. Eric the Red was there too. I don't know if you remember him. That's that another guy. By a car. Because he died he early. Good. Everyone forgets about Eric the Red. Oh yeah. He what did he? Was, when did he die? Seventy eight, maybe I think. Yeah, right. Right now here in Florida, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, there's different stories, different stories, but they first they said the fans, you know, ran over him or whatever when he was changing his tire or something. <laughs> Wait, I never yeah, heard that. that was, the story is that the fans. Yeah, different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So much heat that the fans seen him on the side. I was like, I don't think you know he was known that much. He wasn't even here that long at that time when he when it happened. Something happened. I think he was crossing the road to get help his car or something happened and then that's what happened then i know he got hit by a car though definitely but yeah he was a really good heel that big bone he had and everything it was funny because they told stories about um him the love brothers did they said he had that bone and he drilled a hole in it to uh put a uh whatchamacallit rope through it so he could hang it on the ring post and then he'd ride with them and it stunk so bad they'd always get so damn mad because that bone would stink because it was like a, I guess a, a real bone like or some, some <laughs> animal or something but he, they said they'd be trying to throw it out and leave it out somewhere and he'd always get so mad they try to get rid of his bone and then I'm not going to tell you some of the stories of stuff he did because he, <laughs> I think he's got relatives still out there online I know that talk about him but his son I think but anyway he was <laughs> pretty wild <laughs> otherwise but um yeah, Ox Baker too. Yeah, he was with the, with the um, uh, powers and them. Ox Baker. Well, that's the thing. That's the only footage that really survives is the riot. Is Johnny yeah. Powers yep. and Ernie Ladd yeah. with Ox Baker. Other than that, there's no yeah. TV, at least that I know of. And no. of course, Pedro Martinez later did the IWA with Eddie Einhorn. It's a lot of that same crew, you know, Johnny Powers and you know a lot of the yeah, guys that had is. worked NWF. But you know, for a promotion that yeah. was really significant, really the only footage actually is the stuff with Anoki. That's the only footage there is because New Japan has it. Yeah, and then I can't even find that though because um, I think I have one where a nookie he wrestled um, Ernie Ladd at the Cleveland Arena, but it's just it's, it's house show footage, you know. Like it's not really like a, I like the TV show they had. I don't know if you ever seen it. Never. The what was it TV like? Show. No, tell me. Tell oh me. God, that, I mean that's the first thing I've seen. That's why I was telling you when I was like seven years old, seven years old, I think I was, and my mom was changing the channel. I didn't even know what it was, and then. I told you Greg Valentine was one of the Fargos at that time, Johnny Fargo, and he was juiced, bleeding everywhere with that white hair and on the microphones, probably uh, black and white TV, I'm sure. And he was on there with his deep voice saying, nobody does this to me. And then I was just like, turn that back. What is this? Oh, my God. And then I just fell in love with it right then. But the TV show was, I I don't know if it was just because it was the first one I ever saw, but it was like, to me, the best I ever seen, just the way everything was put together. It was like, I mean, really good angles they did. They had so many different characters to gimmicks too. Like it's the Crusher Verdue. I don't know if you remember him. He had a big giant chest and yeah, of big guy. Crusher. Yeah. He was he was on there. Moose Chalak. Main thing about him was so <laughs> impressive was that big moose head he'd yeah. wear in the ring. I mean a real <laughs> a real moose head. It's like Jesus, a little kid seeing. And then uh, they had every gimmick there was. I mean, Indian Chief White Owl, Love Brothers, the. Johnny Powers was like the, you know, the all-American guy or whatever, but he was Canadian. But anyway, the uh, Johnny Valentine, good as he was, I mean, just and then uh, Ox Baker, that look looked like the devil. I mean, geez, and the promo he did and everything. 
it wasn't as much in the ring really it was just the gimmicks they had in the interviews and then uh i think Sheik even worked for them some too at that time Sheik and furpo and uh who was the one waldo von eric was really good and worker and you know promo everything and uh there was one oh eric the red eric the red was another top guy but he had the big horns on his head like a viking and a bone and everything and he was a big guy but they were really good heels too I mean, I was a little kid, and I would go up to the dressing room door. They didn't have much security at the Akron Armor I went to, you know. And they, I'd walk up right to the dressing room door where the heels would be. And I asked him when I was like maybe nine, whatever I was, for his autograph, Eric the Red. And he he uh, yelled something like some other language. He acted like he was uh, Denmark or whatever. <laughs> yelled to get out of here and slammed the door and scared the crap out of me. So <laughs> he was a good, good heel to a little kid even. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, they were... Good gimmicks, definitely. Yeah, that promotion though, the TV show was so good. And then I, I got to be friends with Ron Martinez uh, later because we talked about that. I remember the tapes? I bought yeah. tapes from him too. I didn't. Even, I didn't even know it was him at first. PM film and video. PM tape. Yeah, he yeah. lived in Fort Lauderdale, and I would always order the tapes. And then finally, somehow I seen the name Ron Martinez, and I was like, I called him and said, "Are you the same?" That he did the TV commentary on the TV show actually with uh, Jack Reynolds. Do you remember him? He did a little bit of WWF later. He had yeah. a real good voice. Jack Reynolds did WWF. He was the original host on yeah. uh, Primetime Wrestling. He also had my favorite flub that a ring announcer ever had. He was introducing a team of masked <laughs> Russians at the Clash of the Champions. It was the Midnight Express versus the uh, Russian oh, Assassins. Cheaper. And he's reading it off a card, and he goes, <laughs> Here they are with a combined weight of 180 pounds from Kilos, Russia. The Russian assassins. <laughs> 180, Jesus. Yeah, he, yeah. Got, he, he got the town. He thought the town was the... Kilo. Yeah, he thought Kilos was the town, and then he thought the weight... Oh, Jesus. Just... <laughs> yeah, he yeah he was... he was uh, I don't know. He wasn't really like, I mean, like a Gordon Soli type commentator, but he just had a real good voice. Yeah, he's but really he, he did their te- Oh, he was on IWA, too. That's right. They, That's did, right. they had him on IWA, too, with... Uh, with Luthez, but um, and Ron Martinez was on there too. No, he was a ring announcer on there. That's right, Ron Martinez with the seventies. Uh, Coolest looking ring announcer hair. ever. Coolest looking ring. <laughs> he's got the sunglasses on. He's got like the oh beat God. up tuxedo. Looks like he just fell out of a bar. Yeah, and he's like kind of like lurching <laughs> towards the camera with the microphone in the ring while he makes yeah. announcements. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was one of the boys, definitely. He, uh, yeah, I got I got to know him because I was like, I'm gonna make this happen because he was when I was a little kid. He was my, I mean, the guy that I watched be the, you know, the TV announcer. So then when I had a TV show, like on my independent show down here in Florida, like in 90, whatever it was, 93, I think it was, I, uh, that's what I called him asking if you're the, are you the Ron Martinez who was up there in you know, Cleveland? He goes, that's the one and only. And then I said, can you do a commentating on my, my TV thing? He was like, well, I haven't done it for 20 years, but yeah, I'll try. And then I still have the tape somewhere. I had, he looked the same almost too, with the glasses, everything, <laughs> the hair still. And then he uh, he was telling me a lot of stories though about like the promotion and all that. He said there's no there was only one tape that existed, and he almost killed his son because his son taped over it. He had one tape of the NWF. You know, from oh Cleveland. no way! Yeah, he said he was gonna kill his son because he <laughs> taped over some show on it, like cartoon or something. He was like, I said, oh, you gotta be kidding me, because Johnny Powers said. I think about ten years ago, I was emailing back and forth with him, and because I met him at that. Uh, the thing they used to do in Toronto, the legends, I think they changed it to Johnny Montel in Texas now, the um, Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah, it used to be in Toronto, and I went there like in 2005, I think it was. And uh, George Steele came too from Florida. And then uh, I met Johnny Powers there, 
I mean, I was a fan. I met him when I was a little kid, but and uh, I had asked him about the tapes and all that, and he he said that he has something, but I mean, I don't know. I think he would have released it and sold some by now. But he said he had something. He'll talk to me later about it or something, but I never. <laughs> and Ron Martinez. And Ron Martinez in there. Ain't no way he doesn't. He don't believe it. So anyway, I don't know. Ron Martinez passed away about I can't even remember now. At least five, ten, ten years ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, then I called even the TV stations because I went up there because I'm from Akron. I went up there and I even went to uh, that area and everything where they taped it, Parma, Ohio, near Cleveland. And they, even the TV station, they said that there, there's nothing because they said some other guy keeps coming here. And it was Ron Martinez. They said he he came there and went through the whole, you know, their whole tape or whatever library and all that. And they said they couldn't find one, nothing, one minute even. So it doesn't exist. Thank God that they started keeping some of the tapes because I remember in the in the Eddie Graham, the, you know, where we did the TV taping in uh, Tampa where it was the office too. The sportatorium. Sure that's where yeah, that's where they broke Hulk Hogan's leg and all the stuff and yeah. the tryouts and all the crap. Snake but it was like head. it was in, yeah, it was in the middle of the hood. I don't know if you ever seen the area it was in, but it was like the hood pretty much. And then uh, I remember when one of the rooms that we would dress in, all the tapes were there, like the big uh, what were they back then? Three quarter inch, I think. The big tapes they were they were all over like the wall, like a library. They had them all. I was just like, Jesus, these guys need to hide this stuff, and nobody's gonna steal them. One of the wrestlers, you know. That was like a whole room full of them everywhere i guess he sold them to uh mcmahon for i don't yeah. know if that's a true price but i heard a million dollars i mean i can't believe <laughs> they pay that much because i've never seen that many tapes there i don't know maybe they had a lot more somewhere but yeah the tapes they should have they always record over them I and mean, i don't know why that doesn't make sense every you know every time they do tv again the, the week later or whatever they'd use the same tape and record over all the territories did for some reason in the 70s almost all of them <laughs> You heard that too, right? Yeah, no, I actually was recently talking about that on the show with Dan Farron and a few other people and a few off-air talks too about what's out there, where there are huge holes like Los Angeles, like Cleveland, and who would have them? You know, if the station doesn't have it, did a custodian really like wrestling and walk out with the tapes? Yeah. Did someone who worked on the news show really like wrestling and walk out with the tapes? Was anything ever used on a compilation for, you know, celebrating X amount of years of of the station or something was anything ever replayed on TV at a later time was anything on the news program so there's lots of places to look but you mentioned your tv i don't know anything about your tv tell me about it well i just did let's see i only did like um maybe maybe two months of it eight shows i um god what was it i mean well one i did a few different ones one of them aired like on on the what was this called uh cock back in the let's see early 90s like sunshine network or something Oh. I was almost on that one. George still had it set up, but then they uh, they gave it to who else? Somebody else got it. I can't remember who it was. ECW. Oh, maybe that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Were they on Sunshine Network? Yeah, ECW? they were on Sunshine Network starting like 94, yeah. 95, yeah. It might have been them then because, yeah, something happened where yeah, somebody got it right at the same time I was meeting the guy all the time. But the because uh, George still was like, I got it set up for you, man, your show because I had some big shows at that time. I mean, like in – I think I already told you about that, like in all over the United States, fairs and big fairs, like with uh, yeah. like in uh, Vermont. I had a show in Vermont once. It was like, uh, I remember Tito Santana was like, man, this is bigger than WWF. He's like, it's like a reunion of WWF. There was like at least 20, I mean, the top guys there. Even they even let me use some of their guys. It was like, uh, who was it? Um, well, George Steele was with them then as uh, the oddities, you know. Him and John Tenta, the gold, yeah. gold gun. And then somebody else they gave me it was big, though. What the hell was it? I can't even That means you probably now. went through Cornette. 
That's right. Cornette gave me, uh, that's right. He was kept asking me, he said, who do you, who do you want? Um, he was giving me names, but I was like, oh, somebody that's like younger. Cause he said at first, uh, Barry Wyndham. And I was like, um, somebody that's like right hot off. The, I think they gave me Sunny. That's who it was when she was hot. I mean, you know, hot, not hot, not just hot, but hot on TV. Too, you <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. 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 Both, both <laughs> ways. But she was, yeah. I couldn't believe they gave me her because that was when she was like, I mean, the most downloaded or whatever. Yeah, that's who it was. Sunny Cornette got me her couple shows, and then uh, I drew good too. And then Sunny, that might have been who it was. I was thinking it was really, which I mean, I was thinking of workers, low wrestlers in the ring, but it was too cold. Scorpio when he was there, whatever his name was, Flash Flunk, Flash Flunk, Flunk, Funk or whatever. Yeah, not Flash yeah, Flunk. Funk. Flash Funk. Not Flunk. <laughs> I said the wrong word. Yeah. Flash yeah, he, Flunk. He, he was, <laughs> the I gimmick he was, flunked. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a flub. I don't usually screw up, but <laughs> anyway. The, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember because George Steele, I picked. Uh, they were both with. Uh, he was the oddities, and he was uh, doing his gimmick. Flash Funk, <laughs> and then uh, I, I when I got him to the uh, the show I had it was in Arkansas I remember and then uh, what was uh, George Steele was worried about he didn't want to do it very long because he couldn't of course you know all the stuff he had health stuff but he he said uh, he thought he was going to be working to Gold Scorpio uh, he didn't understand I was saying no you're going to be in a tag with me because he thought that he said, uh, you don't have me against him. Cause you know how Scorpio works is like, holy shit, that'd be a weird match. You know? So I was like, no, 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 it's me and you and a six man tag or something. And that was the time. One of the times Jake almost ruined that show. Cause I mean, it was sold out. That was not even a fair. It was just a show. I promoted myself like at the hot Springs, um, the civic center in Arkansas. I mean, it's a big building, like two, 3000 people. I think it held somebody's running that right now with Ric Flair. I heard too lately coming up i don't know who's running them. but anyway so jake was over then still you know so it was like 97 i think it was he was still over even though that people didn't know all of his problems because you know internet wasn't real strong yet but the uh so he wasn't showing up he wasn't there still and all these people pretty much came to see mostly jake and then george Steele and two cold scorpio and i had a few other guys on there greg valentine i think and then, uh, so what happened was he wasn't there still. It was like 8 p.m. The show's already started. And George Steele, had a, he had a good mind. Nobody really knew how he was smart, George Steele, because he said he had this idea. He said, uh, okay, because, I mean, it's sold out, the building. And that was hard to do on Independent, you know. And uh, when it holds that many, especially, I think it was two, three, two or 3,000 paid. And then he, uh, okay, George Steele said, okay, so what we'll do, and then Jake finally called me. I'm, I'll be there at whatever time. It was like late. I mean, last minute, like we had to make the show longer and everything else. And then, so we act like Jake wasn't there. So people are expecting that already. And oh yeah, Jake never shows up. Cause that's one thing he did show up on a lot of my shows. And everybody always said, he's not going to show up. And then he did though a lot, but he missed a couple, but he did show up at least, even though he might drink piss or something <laughs> during the show, you know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> even, though he might, even though he might drink piss <laughs> <laughs> he might do a little things that it might but he might he'll be there but the, <laughs> he might give me a couple heart attacks in the meantime but he did show up but this time he uh <laughs> it was really good though because people kind of already got the word around like jake never shows up pretty much and he's not going to be there nobody thought he was gonna be even the wrestlers didn't think he was going to be there and so then what we did was uh I think we started the match. It was George Steele's idea too. So we um, act like it was just God. What was? It? Oh, it's just it's just me and George Steele go against these three hills, whoever they were. I think it was Valentine, 
Honky wasn't there that night. I don't think it was Sondheim and somebody else. A couple, two other guys. So it was a six man. So me and George Steele against uh, these other three guys, because our partner's not there, Jake. So all the people are getting kind of pissed, like, oh, yeah, Jake's not here. You know, I'm starting to get more money back or whatever. So then uh, you could just tell people that weren't too happy. And then they started getting the heat on both of us, of course. And we're selling, I'm selling the whole match, and George Steele's, they, knocked him off the apron or whatever and then right when it's like almost the end then jake hits the ring and the people went crazy because they thought he's not going to be there for sure but that was a good show because uh george still had that idea make him think he's not going to be there and the whole time they thought that was an easy night for jake because all they had to do was come in and do a ddt like another 30 second match <laughs> where he gets his full pay but at least he didn't drink piss and crawl out like the snake he is that night. <laughs> he no-showed so many times that when you told another promoter, oh, yeah, he came to my show, he got fellatio in front of the rest of the locker room, he drank his own piss, oh, yeah. and he started destroying the believe. locker room. Then he couldn't work, so he had to get him out of the match. He wanted me to use profanity over the <laughs> microphone. Then he demanded his pay. That could actually be called yeah. a good night. <laughs> that could actually be yeah, called yeah. a good night. That's the weirdest thing. That's the only time he ever did anything like that, too. I think that's the last time I ever used him, too. It might have been close to it, definitely, because I never trusted him after that. Because she's, but he, uh, yeah, he, he didn't do too much crazy stuff. He always showed up though, and sometimes I had to drive him. Though. I told you all over the United States instead of flying him because I knew if I flew him, then <laughs> something's gonna happen. He's not gonna be there usually. If I take a chance of him, him flying, you know, was he wearing his happen. trench coat? Oh yeah, he was. Well, it was when it was cold. I always had that. When I was with him, he had that one he had in that movie, you know. Yeah, uh, he was always dressed called. like it was a cold, damp day. <laughs> Every yeah. day was a cold, damp day for Jake Roberts. Yeah, no, he didn't have that. <laughs> he did it first, but then he quit wearing that. He was uh, going crazy. Watch when he was in the car with me because I wouldn't stop at any hoods anywhere all across the United States. I wouldn't let him get anything. So he was going through with balls like hell with Benny Hill in the back seat. <laughs> Benny Hill traveled with us. Well, let me ask you this, Jerry, because you know you've talked yeah. on the show at various times, and you know you're doing it again right now about the fair shows yeah. you did and how successful they were. How did you actually get yeah. set up with that? Because you know I know that at least in 1988 you started operating your company in Florida. How did you get to that level where you were actually doing shows all across the country? Yeah, I was lucky. Um, God, who told me about it? Somebody told. I had that show in Arkansas. What I did actually, it was a lot of work, but I just had a, there was a, a fair book, like it held all the fairs in the United States, like a directory of all the fairs. Okay. And back then, fa back then, fax, you know, instead of email. So it was like 90, 96, 97, whatever it was when I first started doing them all over the United States. And then I just started faxing everybody in the whole book. I mean, faxing. And then like five, six of them, I think I got about four or five fairs from doing that. And like in Arkansas, and Utah, all over the place, you know, different different states. Uh, Delaware, or what was it? Yeah, Delaware was my first one, far away out of Florida. Delaware Fair, Delaware State Fair, I think it was. Yeah, Delaware State Fair. And then uh, that's how I started doing it. Though, and first I was driving to uh, with the ring truck and everything, driving these all these places. For, but I had to get a good guarantee, you know, because that's a lot of overhead. And then I'd found a lot of connections all the years. I had a lot of you know different guys. Uh, I'd find the good locals in each state whoever was real, you know, good guys that work good or whatever. And then I'd use some of them and bring a couple of my guys with me. And then I'd fly in the big names for the main events, you know, but that's what I did at first. The, um, started faxing all the fair directory I got. And then when I went to Arkansas and did the fair there, the guys there that ran the fair were 
Um, they always went to like a trade show they have in Vegas. Uh, what's it called? International Fair Association in Vegas. Every year they have a trade show. And, you know, we sat in the booth and that's pretty much when I started doing that. And that's when I got all of them just going there. Wow. Every year. Yeah. I went to different trade shows all over. Really, I started doing them when I was healthy. But that's where I got them all, though, by going to trade shows. And then uh, what happened was, though, everybody heard, uh, I should have never told, you know, some of the big names. I think Jake is one of them. He started telling everybody, yeah, just go to the fair, the trade show. And then uh, that's the reason he's got all these shows. And then next next year I went. I was like eight different wrestling promoters there <laughs> set up in booths. So oh, I was like, man. oh my God, they killed it. And I was like, uh, but Nick kept coming up to me, like, I'm going to tell him how to do it. Like, how do you get these shows? Yeah, we heard you had a lot of shows. Uh, how do you get them? I'm like, yeah, like, I'm going to tell you. I said, no, nah, it's not very good, really. <laughs> and then the funniest thing was Ken Patera. I didn't even recognize him. This was like a 98, I think it was. I'm set up in a booth. And I, never, I met him once in Memphis back when he was uh, working AWA, which he was in the uh, – I mean, uh, Memphis was using the AWA, you know, stars like uh, Patera yeah, and Blackwell and Dick Bachwick. Yeah. yeah, I was there then. I was there in Memphis. Um, so I met him there once. I didn't really, no, I didn't really meet him because the way Memphis Coliseum is, you just had your own little rooms and stuff. So I didn't even see him actually. He just was on the show. But anyway, he's walking up to my booth and he looked so much different. His glasses on, didn't look like his hair was dark and everything. And I didn't even know who the hell he was. He goes, Who's Jerry Gray? Are you Jerry Gray? And I was like, What the hell? Because I liked it. Okay, but there is the strongest, one of the strongest men in the world, Jesus. And then, uh, I said, hi. And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, Jake told me that come here and set up because he was doing shows, I guess, around uh, Minneapolis at that time. You know, his own little thing going on. You heard about that, I'm sure. No. He was doing like, uh, yeah, he had his own things going. He was doing shows in, um, I guess, Minnesota, where he's from. But he came there to uh, Peggy. He said, it was already sold out. I couldn't get a booth. And then he started asking me. And I was like, Jesus, I mean, how long has he been in the business? He, he knows he should know that, you know. It's like competition and everybody's here taking all my work. It was my thing. <laughs> so it was like eight different promoters there, though. And it was just like killing it because it was like everywhere the fair, you know, fair uh, entertainment directors would walk. There's another wrestling group set up, you know, with fake Doink the Clown and all kinds of stuff. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. God. There was a 300-pound Doink the Clown. And it was just like, oh, my God, I'm like, I look like a joke now. And then I didn't get as many that year, I remember. But then they all gave up because it was pretty expensive to go there, too, you know, the booth and everything. So the next year, they were all gone. <laughs> I was there again. So I kept going there for years, though, up until I got sick. I actually tried to go there again, and I, it almost killed me, like, in, uh, with a friend of mine, a wrestler, too. He'd go there with me every year, Mighty Henry. He, uh, but we went there in 2011, I think it was. And I knew I already had something going on bad. You know, I could tell already all the symptoms, and then... That year, I couldn't hardly talk to people. I was so bad. It was a stupid thing to even go there. That was the last time I went to, to Vegas for that trade show. But, um, yeah, and then Ken Patera, though, the first thing was he started asking me, like, yeah, I couldn't get a booth. It was too late. But Or Jake, I guess, told him that, uh, yeah, just go there. Jerry Gray got shows all over the place from doing this. And then I was like, oh, my God. So then there he is standing almost by my booth trying to sell his shows to people. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? And then public enemy, some, they even paid these other promoters. I never even heard of any of them either because I don't know a whole lot of, there were so many independents all over the place, you know, back then and now. So 
so I didn't know any unless they were like some like Kempatera or some uh, you know big name that's running something. So there were so many of them I never even heard of any of the guys, and they were coming up to me and asking me the other promoters, you know. Oh, how do you do this exactly? How do you get the show out? And I was like, Jesus, I think I'm going to tell you. Anyway, and then uh, what happened was Patera stood there. And then Public, public Enemy, um, they somebody else paid them to be in their booth, you know. But they, I didn't even know them. They were nice guys. I didn't even know. I used them one time, I think, before this. So they came to my booth most of the time hanging out with me. So they're getting paid by this other promoter. <laughs> and it looks like they're in my booth, you know. <laughs> so that was a good day. It was good. And Greg Valentine was too. That's right. He'd already worked for me a million times, and he was somebody paid him to be in their booth too. Oh, that guy was in the movie. What's the name of that movie we just talked about with Barry Blomstein um, and Jake? Uh, God, you know the wrestling. That was uh, Beyond the Mat. The horrible, yeah, the horrible movie. That movie. Beyond <laughs> anyway, the Mat. Uh, <laughs> you didn't like Beyond I, I hate the that Mat. damn. <laughs> I hated that good movie. Anyway, it's the worst depressing movie ever, besides the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> anyway, the uh, so he, that guy with the. Ed, whatever his name was, remember the show Jake was on, and for this guy that had, uh, you know what I'm talking about? I think so. His nose, there was something wrong with it, something wrong with his nose. I think he had cancer on his nose or something, and they were interviewing him on the movie. Ed Beckley or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember his name. Real, yeah. huge, real huge nose, but anyway, he was at that <laughs> um, trade show to set up at a booth, with, and he paid Greg Valentine to be in his booth, right? And I didn't. I think I don't think I had anybody in my booth that year except for some hot girl. I remember that <laughs> attracted the old fair people better than the big name wrestlers. You know, just have a young hot girl there. And then uh, so Valentine comes over to my booth too and sitting there talking to me the whole time. <laughs> so it's like these guys are paying them to be in their booth, but they're sitting with me. So that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. So that's what happened. It was so funny though. Uh, Patera was just standing there trying to get you know. Work off of my booth pretty much and talk to people. I was like, oh my God, that don't look too good. Just walking down the, you know, the, the aisleways trying to get their numbers and stuff. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Funny as hell. His shoot interviews are too much. You've seen them? Oh my God. His interviews. Yeah. yeah. God, man. He's just, he's so casual with his ability to threaten you. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Turn this bullshit off. And then, yeah. and then he told the thing, the story on Ric Flair's podcast but <laughs> yeah right <laughs> the story he told about the mcdonald's and <laughs> that was not what i heard happen yeah it was basically like i was kid. sitting there with a halo on my head minding <laughs> yeah, my own business yeah. <laughs> so, some employee that got fired uh through the rock and i was like yeah right that's a fucking <laughs> i'm sure he yeah and then so is, there, is that the same employee everybody. that body slammed the female cop in the hotel yeah, that's right. God, yeah. Everybody, I don't know where I was at that time. Uh, what year was that? Do you remember? That would have 80. happened eighty. What eighty three, eighty four? It was at eighty four. I think eighty four. I think I was in Portland you, then. Maybe you, yeah. You were either in Mid South or Portland. Yeah. Well, I heard about it definitely because you know the guys know the what truly what really happens. You know. At that time, that's what the story was, definitely. <laughs> he threw the rock. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's how I got all the fares, though. But I just, it was a lot of work. But that's the way, I mean, that's the way, because uh, wasn't, it wasn't doing, you know, just Florida. It was just getting, they killed it. Um, Crockett killed it, really, more than my man did. I told you what, he just came here, Jim Crockett, and took over Florida. And then he, he didn't even run any shows. It was ridiculous. We had seven shows a week, six, seven shows a week when, uh, you know, Graham and Matsuda and all of them had it. And then Crockett took it over, whatever he did, bought it or whatever. And then he started running one show a month. 
And it was just like the people were so used to coming every night, every week to this town, wherever they lived, you know, Orlando or Miami or wherever it was. They're used to every week. It was like the hangout to go to every week. So then once you start running it, like once, you know, every few months, it's like all the fans just found something else to do. So that was what happened. Hey, Florida what? just was what about the what about in 1989 i mean you were already running now you know you had done the show with terry funk already and all of a sudden they start up mike graham starts up he brings in dusty what was going on in florida at that time <laughs> did you talk to them at all while that was going on oh yeah that was a big that was a big promotional war nobody knows about really because uh what happened was i was i was working for them because we had just done that thing that was pretty much the main event thing they had was the the mighty yankees me and Bob Cook against uh, my grandma, Steve Kern, because uh, either McMahon or Crockett have, had taken all the everybody, you know, pretty much away from Florida. Luger, well, he didn't mean nothing, but <laughs> I mean, they took away like pretty much nobody was here like Dusty and all people like that anymore. So it was the ones that were left were Mike Graham, because I didn't want to go. I told you, WWF, when I, I did some matches there, and then I had a bad experience with too many people winking at me and stuff like uh, Pat Patterson and uh, oh really everybody I'll tell you. oh god well, we'll, we'll, I was only like we'll, 20, we'll get 20, to that 20. I want to hear whatever you got to <laughs> yeah, say about that but I want to hear about the promotion okay, yeah 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 so that yeah that's after that okay so what happened was I was still working for them but I ran the first show okay right when Crockett took over Florida I told you he just didn't run anything anymore pretty much once a month in Orlando no Atlanta, not even that really it was just like ridiculous no shows anymore so I booked my own show I was like hell with this and even you know Danny Miller right Danny Dan Miller used to be Danny Miller yeah. he was one of the Miller brothers yeah, big Bill Miller. okay he was like one of the one of the promoters for Florida and he <laughs> what I did was Eddie Graham Sports Stadium here he used to hold about 5,000 people Every Sunday they'd pack it, but not. It started getting dying down when they started taking all the names and everything. And then, so what happened was one of the last shows they ever had there. I remember Murdoch was there, and uh, I had the announcer because he was kind of just like a fan. He didn't know what the hell was going on. So I already had a show booked of my own at some high school that they used to do real good in in uh, near Orlando. So I already had my own show booked. I never even did a show in my life. I just decided, you know, this something's got. I have to do my own show or something's going to happen because. I know they're going out of business. So I told this ring announcer at their show, Crockett owned it this time too, to, uh, to announce coming up to Groveland February 6th. Uh, it was like 1988. Uh, wrestling will be there. I didn't even say what kind of wrestling. It's like Jeff, Jack Pfeffer. <laughs> Jack Pfeffer gimmick. Use the uh, NWA promotion to promote your outlaw show coming up. So anyway, the announcer said it and everything. <laughs> to, I mean, there was probably like, there's still like 1,500 people there, maybe 2,000, maybe. And uh, Danny Miller just came back to the dress show. He was the promoter and everything for that town. And he goes, say you? I said, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. And he goes, you got to do something. Like, he, he didn't blame me. He was just like, yeah, got to do something the way this is going. And then, <laughs> so he didn't even get mad. He didn't even get mad. He's probably wanting to work for me. And then, uh, and then so I had, uh, and plus I went to, uh, <laughs> I did some crazy stuff to promote that show. But I went to WWF, had a show in uh, Orlando, too, like right after that. And I went to their show, and then that's when I I'd lived with Jake. I told you years before that, and then I seen him, and then they all of a sudden they want me to work on the show. I told you about that already, right? When I walked in, Rick Rude and Humperdinck and all of them, yeah, want me to. Are you gonna work it? And I just hurt my leg in Japan, like I told you in the last episode, and then I was like, oh my god, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Like they're all getting me booked, and I'm sitting there limping, like oh my god, I gotta work now. <laughs> okay, whatever. So then I put my own posters up though at their show. 
and uh, I think Jerry Briscoe was one of the yeah he was one of the they didn't call them agents then or whatever they whatever they are now producers but anyway so I put a big poster up like right by their concession stand and my show coming up you know and back then he didn't do that so you don't do it now either but I mean back then it was really like outlaw you know so I put a show a poster up right there and they had a pretty big crowd there and then uh, they didn't take it down for a long time either somebody finally seen it but then uh, I ended up having like a, about 500 people sold out high school gym at my show and Steve Kern worked for me that night because I remember um, you may know Mickey J right Mick, uh, Mickey he was a referee yeah. Mickey J uh yeah, because I started him that night. He he was just hanging around with me all the time, and he st- he was Steve Kern's friend too. And then I just told him I got a show coming up. You can be the referee because he used to ride with me all the time to the shows I had and stuff. I mean the shows I worked for, you know, Graham and all the. So he'd ride with me, and then he was more like a fan. And then I said, you can you know so much about the business, you can just uh, be the referee at my show. So he refereed. He told Kern, you know, and Kern said I'll work on the show. And then he said I'd do it for. Uh, 75 but then i feel like i'm working for jim crockett again just give me a hundred <laughs> i was like oh, yeah that's fine 100 bucks for steve kern shit. <laughs> i mean this is this was like when he was still you know steve kern big name still and then uh so i had uh my show was uh me and bob cook the yankees against uh kern and it was gonna be lane i think but something happened i can't remember what happened with stanley i don't think he even lived down here anymore or something but anyway it was it was rex king that's who it was rex king <laughs> He just passed away too, like last year, I guess it was. Rex King, remember him? Yeah. Uh, Timothy Well, yeah. He was in Well so Done, he, uh, the Southern Rockers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was on that show, and then that was Ricky Jay's first time ever refereeing. And then I wrestled like I think three times on that show because I hadn't trained guys yet. So and I just used a lot of uh, whoever was. That Florida was folded almost pretty much at that time, and I think it was all the way folded. Yeah. So it was a good thing, good decision I made to. Uh, <laughs> book a show before that last show they had at the Orlando Sports Stadium. So anyway, I had my show and then Kern seen, I mean, this is a sold out crowd better than pretty much that, uh, you know, they were drawing the office, NWA, uh, Mike Graham and Eddie Graham and all of them, not Eddie Graham, he was already dead, but um, Matsuda and, and Mike Graham and Duke Kamoka and all them, that was better than the shows that they were drawing pretty much at school gyms and all the, so it was just sold out because I promoted the hell out of it. I mean, and then, uh, so Kern sees this. And he goes back to Mike Graham and tells him, hey, I mean, I think we need to keep this company going, you know, Florida, you know, whatever. We'll just change the name because Crockett owned, I think he owned that name. And then CWF Championship Wrestling for Florida. Yeah. So then they changed it. That's why they changed it to Florida Championship Wrestling, remember? And it was still that even when Kern was doing the WWE's uh, before it was NXT, you know. It was still uh, Florida Championship Wrestling instead of CWF. It was FCW. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the only reason they did. Yeah, that's the only reason they did that. So, so what happened was that's what happened. I had mine first. They seen how good the crowd was. Curran did. He went and told uh, Graham, and then all of a sudden they have their show booked, and they want me to work on their show. So, so I was still working on their show. We were kind of working together at first. So I'm working on their show as the Mighty Yankees against Kern and Graham. So that's what right off TV is what people have seen. So they still think pretty much this is Florida wrestling, you know, before the internet, you know. So um, now they would have been already knowing, like, oh, that's not the same promotion. So 88, I guess it was, it was still like nobody really knew, it, except for the TV show wasn't going on anymore. So that's the only thing that was different. So then they, they had, um, who was it? They didn't have much more names than I did, really. It was like, we were the main event, me and, the Yankees against uh, uh, Graham and Kern. And then they had like uh, mostly like locals. 
I don't call job guys. To me, a job guy is only a guy that only did TV like Marion Crumley. That's a job guy. The guy that the superstar, you know, that match you laugh at all the time. Or the cornet, the one you and Cornette <laughs> watching. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So anyway, that to me is a job guy. The other would I, I call like a, you know, underneath guy or whatever preliminary, but job guy is like they only do TV and they don't make a living that. It's just like, and they're not good. It's <laughs> just like, you know. Even Carpenter, they used to call it back in the old days. I've heard a lot of the old, old, real old guys call it the Carpenter, like, because you're making the guy look good. So anyway, that's what they use mostly. Uh, Graham and Kern on the underneath matches, but the main one was me and Bob Cook against uh, <clears throat> Graham and Kern. So then they weren't promoting it though. They didn't know I went to every Kern. Just thought, oh, you can draw a house like that, you know, just uh, book the town. So they had some big building. It was all pretty much empty, and then. Uh, they weren't paying very good either, I remember. And then, um, so then they had a good house one night, and they still paid me. No, oh, they kept, I know what it was. I had other shows booked still, too. And so, this is a funny story about Gordon Soli, because <laughs> he was with them, too. I guess they were all three partners yeah. Graham Kern and Gordon Soli. Yeah. yeah. So, so they didn't have no TV. So they said, we got to have TV. So, uh, Kern was real good friends with Jerry Jarrett from The Fabulous Ones and all the money he made them. So, he, uh, they decide they're going to send, and I'd already been to Memphis, Scott, three times at least or whatever, and I just didn't, never, the money was never right from what I was used to in Louisiana and everywhere. I was like, I'd always go to Memphis and be like, oh, come on. I don't want a belt, because I'd always put my Walkman headphones on, I'd ride with the booker every night in uh, Louisiana, Bill, Bill Dundee, he was the booker, and I I did the psychology on them, because I'd put headphones on, and they'd think, oh, he's not listening to us, so him and Dutch Mantel would talk over like everything they're going to do, you know, and they'd look back and think I'm not even listening, you know, <laughs> and they were saying, yeah, we'll just get all these guys that all they want championship belts up in Memphis. When I take over the book there and we won't, we'll keep all the money for ourselves and we'll give them the champion belt, you know, and I was like, I hope you don't hear this. Cause I like bill, but I was just like, they always thought I was just back there smoking pot and stone and I ain't got hear shit. And then, uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm listening to everything. That's why I have so many stories. I'm like, yeah, I'm listening to everything you guys are saying. Don't worry. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so then they got this gimmick for me, the the guru and all this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the damn belts and all this crap. And then they didn't know I heard all that. So then I get there and they give me that, whatever that belt was called. And then I was just like, I got my check. I was like, the main event with Lawler because it got over the gimmick because it was on the news so much back in those days, uh, whatever it was, 80, end of 85, that uh, Rajneesh, whatever, that guy had that cult thing going on in Oregon where they had to make him leave the country because he was, it was almost terrorist kind of type of stuff he was doing out there because I lived in Oregon at the time. He poisoned the town and everybody got, he put it in like in their salad bars, like poison. You heard about that? Yeah. I Some forgot. guy like a, from India. Yeah, Rajneesh, some weird name, but anyway, he, uh, that's why uh, Ed Wiskoski did the gimmick at first, Mega Maharishi. <laughs> anyway, in Oregon, he did the gimmick, but then I did it up there in Tennessee, and they, it was on the news right then, too. It was a perfect time where they were making him leave the country, how horrible he was. He had like a cult going. So anyway, I'm, uh, they got me talked into doing this gimmick because uh, Dundee was getting ready to leave uh, Bill Watts, Louisiana, and go take over the book in uh, Memphis. So he's going to bring me there is that there's only one tape of that too. That's another thing that you can't find hardly the Memphis. Like there's a lot of Memphis tapes, but I can't find the, that hardly. There's one on there. You can't YouTube find footage of I'm you staying. as the guru. I seen one where I'm st- Dave Milliken that makes the 
you yeah, know, fuck that guy. Listen, anyone out there, if you got any footage of Jerry Gray in Memphis <laughs> oh. as the guru, put it on the Facebook page or get yeah. in touch with the show. Let's get this footage for Jerry. Yeah, there's, I, there's only one blurry one, but I'm standing there with the you know the, all the gimmick on and the uh, my eyes back on my head like a uh, whatever, and then yeah, Lance Russell is the saying, yeah, get this guy out of here too, you know, <laughs> or something. It's pretty funny. I seen one. It's like so. Some so small of footage though, it was like for five minutes or whatever. So anyway, they uh, I got my check and I said, yeah, right. And <laughs> you got to be kidding me. The main event was Lawler in the Memphis Coliseum, and it was still like eight thousand people or whatever. I like I got a hundred bucks. I was like, are you joking? <laughs> to be the main event against Lawler. So then, uh, yeah, it was bad money. So what happened was I just I left. I was so pissed, and then uh, Jerry Jarrett and all of them were calling me and uh, down here in Florida and asking me to come back and then i said send because they back then they'd keep your check too like a week behind so that way if you leave you don't get your money you know yeah. <laughs> for the last week you work yeah so then i said send my check and uh he just wanted to get in good with me you know jarrett he, he loved that gimmick he was going to do a video of me because i did a promo on the you know the jerry lawler show he used to have that talk yeah. show i can't find i can't find that either it air on Sunday morning. Yeah, I was on the damn show once, and they had me do a. I did some real weird interview because I was reading that guy. I really did the gimmick. I mean, all the way. I read one of the guy had some kind of Bible, the Rajneesh Bible, and I read stuff out of it and everything to do the gimmick really good. And then I said something about I was doing some weird voice too, and I said like a whisper, almost weird voice. And Lawler's like, "Well, can this guy even talk?" Dundee had me out there, you know. And then you know how they had just the, it's the same place, but it looks like you're in a different area or whatever. I can't right. remember how they did it, but it was right there in the studio. But um, I said something about uh, God, it's been thirty some years. But I said, okay, the first, uh, let's see. I said Dundee and Dutch Mantel and I are gonna go to a cemetery at midnight. There's 112 methods of meditation, and we're gonna go to a cemetery at mid midnight to meditate on death. I was whispering a little real weird with my eyes back. And then uh, Lawler was just like, what the hell? And then uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I just had a bunch of weird shit. And then, uh, whatchamacallit, there afterwards, Jared Jarrett said, uh, oh, we're going to do that again. We're going to make a video. You know how all them videos he, he liked to make, you know. We're going to make a video of that. You guys go to a cemetery, and then you guys meditating and everything with the guru. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, all this stuff. And where's the money? <laughs> and then... Uh, I wanted, you know, at least some money, God, better than what they were paying. And then he, the money was no good, so I left him. Then he called. That's why I said, I said, send me my check. So then, of course, he made it really big because he thought I was going to come back, but I knew what was going to happen. Right when I got back there, same crap again. Steve Austin even talks about that. <laughs> they gave him a hundred a night guarantee, and then it went down, back down to whatever, fifty or twenty again or something. After about a month. So anyway, yeah, he sent me like a thousand dollar check. It was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm gonna get back. I'm sure. I never went back. I did have to go back. That's why I'm getting to. I got off of this. I got off of that completely. What you're talking about? Okay, the Kern and Graham had that, but they had no TV show, and I was running my own thing at the same time in '88. Okay, but I started mine first. And then Kern seen how good the house was. So then they decided, okay, we'll work together. You know, when Jerry, we don't have shows. Jerry will have shows because they only have like one or two shows a week too, same as me. So then they said, okay, we'll send Gordon and the Mighty Yankees up to Memphis and use uh, Jarrett so we can use his TV and act like it's our TV show. <laughs> so they went to, he even made him a backdrop and everything. I said, Florida Championship Wrestling. I guess uh, Jarrett made it up for him because then, huh. so then that's the fun, that's the funniest part. So, so I never flew with Gordon before. 
So it's like 7 a.m. And we're uh, flying. This is what a big star Gordon was to, like in Atlanta especially. So we're flying from Tampa to Atlanta first. And you know how he was in Atlanta. I mean, all the years, TBS and everything. So he goes, takes us right. And either one of us drank, me or Bob Cook, right? <laughs> and it's 7 a.m. So, And so he takes us to the, uh, what they called those VIP room or whatever, the airport in a, yeah. I can't remember what it, what it was. Whatever it was, he just went right in it, started drinking. And he's like, uh, Bob Cook had kind of just started. He'd been in Independence mostly, but he'd never been to any territories or anything. That was like his first being around like big names like that, Gordon and everything. So he goes, uh, he kept ribbing Bob Cook the whole time because Cook wouldn't drink. And I was just like, I know what to do. You got to drink with him or he's going to, you know, <laughs> be like, what the hell's wrong with you? So I just, I started drinking with him. That was a big mistake because I didn't drink. So 7 a.m. or whatever it was early in the morning, then we got to go do TV in Memphis. So, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I, so I was really, he was drinking whatever he drank, uh, vodka or something. I can't even remember. So I'm like, uh, buzzing big time. And then he, uh, he's just ribbing Bob Cook the whole way. It was funny as hell. Cause he's like, what the hell? Where'd you get this fucking guy? At? Uh, you know, the way Gordon talked, I can't talk with him, but anyway. <laughs> so then we get, we get the, we get the Memphis then. And then we had to do a promo. They had it all set up somewhere else, like with the Florida championship wrestling uh, background, everything backdrop. And uh, Gordon's act like it's championship wrestling from Florida. You know, we're, we're in Memphis, really. <laughs> and then Lance wasn't even involved in that, that part. You know, and then, so then we uh, we do a, an interview with them and said, the Yankees are coming for whatever, Mike Graham and Steve Curran. And I did the interview with them. I still have it somewhere. I got that at least. And then... Uh, so then we did a match too for uh, Memphis TV, I remember. And then what they did though is they let, made us stay there a week. I don't know why, because I kept, I didn't even want to go. I kept saying I've already been to Memphis three times. We'll know what the hell's going to happen. We're not going to get paid anything. And I didn't want to go even. But then Bob Cook kept begging me because he'd never been, you know, any territories like that. So I was like, ah, I'll go. I know what's going to happen. I ain't going to get no money, and we're going to be stranded. So Gordon flies back, you know, he, he don't have to stay there like we did. So we do the match on TV. They had us go over somebody or whatever happened. And a lot of people were there, too. They had a lot of workers. I mean, it was like, what's his name? Raven was, what was his name? Them Sky the Body or something. Yeah. Um, Max Payne was there. They had a lot of talent at that time. Pat Tanaka. And the funniest part was I walked out as the guru. It's the only territory I ever walked out of because just because it was ridiculous, the pay I got against Lawler. The main event. I still like Lawler and Jarrett too, but it's just like that was. I mean, I just like I'm not staying because I know what's going to happen. They're going to say, "Yeah, we'll give them the belts now, and then <laughs> give them the belt, and they'll be happy without the money." You know, just the champion, because most guys like that. You know, <laughs> but I was just like, "No, I've already had belts in Oregon and everything. I want some money now." Plus, Mid South, I just came from, so I was used to good money. You know, Bill Watts. So I had to go back, and this is only like two years later from me being the guru. So I was like, really felt guilty. Like, oh my God, I got to go see their faces after the guru never would go back. You know? So I kept my mask on, like wrestling too, in the dress, like Mil Monstrous, uh, in the dress room and everything. I wouldn't take it off because I didn't want Lawler and Jarrett to see. That's Jerry, that's the guru. So I just kept it on and all the guys were getting hot at me. You could tell like, <laughs> like uh, they didn't want to see who the fuck this guy is. And then uh, like the workers are like, who the fuck do you think he is wrestling too or something? They didn't say it, but you could just tell they didn't like it. And then I can't remember who was there. It was like 80. 88. There was a lot of talent there, though. You remember who guys were there? Well, it depends Steve on. Steve Austin wasn't there. Yeah, it depends on what time in 88 there. you were there. Eddie Gilbert was there at a certain point in 88. He may have been gone by the oh. time you went in. 
I have a lot of stories about Eddie Gilbert. I was with him in Mid South every day, but he wasn't. He yeah, he was there because he buried me. The fucker buried me in front of. He knew what I was doing because he knew I hated to be up there. I liked Memphis, the everything about it except for the money, and he knew what I was doing. I was. I didn't want to go to the town until I wanted to be late every night because we had to stay a week and every night was horrible pay. I knew wasn't nothing going to be coming because they wouldn't even give us the money because I knew at the end of the week it was going to be the worst pay you ever seen. So what happened was everybody thought we were coming in because there was a lot of tag teams there that I remember. It was Max Payne, that big guy was in Japan. He acted like he didn't even know me now, though, <laughs> even though he was a young boy carrying my bag like two years before that. Now he was a big star. He wouldn't even act like he knew me or anything. <laughs> and then... Uh, so it was, uh, God, who the hell was, was the name? Scotty was like Steiner there? 88. Was Scotty Steiner and uh, yeah, Sid Vicious there yeah, already? He, not Sid, but I worked Scott Steiner. That's right. I worked him because they had a split up one night with Yankees and single matches. And it was so weird because he was, I don't even remember him touching me. And I just called the whole match. And he was so easy. I was like, what the hell? He changed. Jesus. Later, I mean, because it looked like he didn't even, anything he did, it was like, I didn't feel anything. It was good. I mean, smooth. And then uh, I worked him. Oh, yeah, Scott Steiner, he was there. There was a lot of people there that ended up being real big names later, but they were even big then, some of them. Oh, the, that's who we worked. Uh, bad Company. Uh, they were the AWA Tag Team Champions. Uh, Paul Diamond Pat and Tanaka. Pat Tanaka. Yeah, we had a real good match with them in Memphis Coliseum. And Kurt Henning was there. He was the AWA champion. So they were working with AWA, too. Yeah, there was a lot of talent there. But the uh, Because I knew Kurt Henning from Oregon. Um First thing he said when he seen me was, "You got a joint, Jerry." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Bob, "What a reputation you have!" Yeah. <laughs> Bob Cook, well, everybody—that's what everybody wanted back then. I mean, that's, that was calm to say that instead of other shit, in a joint, you know. Yeah, really. So, uh, and so uh, Bob Cook was just like, he didn't do any of that, you know, at all. He was just freaking out. I had a rat and everything. He was like leaving the room. He's freaking out. He didn't want to be in the room and everything. I was like, oh my God, man, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You're going to be used to this pretty soon. He was like, what the hell? I had some, because we had no riot. Everybody thought we were coming there to take their spots. That's the way it was back then. So all the tag team, there was a lot of tag teams there too. So they were all like acting like, I mean, they didn't want us to be there. You could just tell, good, but we weren't there for a week. I didn't even want to be there, but they thought we were going to take their spot. So nobody would give us a damn ride. So it was like, we had no car. We flew there. Uh, Kern and them flew us there just for a week. For some reason, I don't know why it wasn't just for the TV tape and thing. That's all they needed us for to make it look like they had Florida wrestling still TV show, you know? So anyway, so they used that footage from the Memphis TV. That's how Jarrett liked Steve Kern that good. He let him use that whole it looked like the opening. How can I explain it? The opening looked like Florida Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley sitting there with the Yankees. And then they just showed all the Memphis TV guys and all them, their TV show. At the end, we closed it back in that backdrop again with Gordon Soley. So they aired that in Florida, some station, and then act like that's Florida Wrestling again. <laughs> but it's like you don't have anybody on that show except for the Yankees and Gordon Soley. So that was kind of weird the way they started the TV thing. But anyway, uh, and then they did get some of the guys to go down there. They Nasty Boys, I think, went down there from there. I think they were there, too. Yeah. Nasty Boys and, and Raven went down there to, for Florida. So they got some of the guys from Jarrett to come down to Florida. Yeah, they did. So so what happened was um, we had to um, do a week, week of shows with them. So I went to my, Monday was Memphis. We started in Nashville. I mean, uh, okay, that's what happened. Yeah, we started the Memphis TV. I don't know if you know their schedule, but we started the Memphis TV Saturday morning, right? So then we couldn't get a ride from anybody. It's like you got to be kidding me. Now we nobody would even give us a ride to the next, you know, Nashville that night. 
So I'm like, this is going to suck, man. So uh, only one that gave us a ride. We had to go to Buddy Wayne. Remember Buddy Wayne? <laughs> yeah, Ken Buddy Wayne's Wayne, father, big, sure. Heavy guy, yeah, yeah. So this is funny as shit. I, he didn't really remember me too good because I was the guru, and I looked totally different. I had my hair almost cut off like a Mongol kind of almost when I was the guru, kind of Harry Krishna looking a little bit. So anyway, he didn't remember me from, I don't want nobody to remember. I had the mask on the whole time in the dress room. And finally, Lawler walks in. And I guess Kern already told him our real names or something. Because he goes, hey, Jerry, how you doing? I was like, what the fuck? I don't even have to have the mask. He's not even mad at me. Shit, I thought the guru had heat, you know. <laughs> so I just took I just took it back off because I'd already been there. He knew who I was. Three, I mean, I've been there about three times already. And for a while, too, each time, like at least a few months. So he knew who I was. And then... Uh, so anyway, and then no ride, and then Buddy Wayne sticking down the ring ring for TV, right? He's taking it down. We still got no damn ride to uh, Nashville that night. So it's like, I ain't going to rent a damn car now. We're going we're gonna to lose money. So then uh, Buddy Wayne says, you can just ride over to my house, and then uh, my son will take you to uh, Nashville. And I already knew Ken Wayne from uh, when they were the Nightmares, when I was there before in 83, uh, him and Danny Davis, and they were nice guys to me. And then he goes, my son will take you to Nashville. No, these guys will, and then uh, whatever. So then we go to his house, and we had to sit there all day, though. And it was like a real Tennessee house, you know, Ten- <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee. All his kids were didn't like us, you know. His, he had a little, real little tiny kid, or I don't know what it was, so either his kid or somebody's kid. And he he was like bugging us every minute, trying to hit us and everything <laughs> all day long. We had to sit in his house with this kid. And then uh, finally, Ken Wayne came and rescued us and took us to uh, Nashville. And then what it was i found out she wasn't even a rat just some girl that worked at wendy's and she gave us rides everywhere and brought us wendy's food and everything and bob cook was like how the hell i said this happens everywhere it's the way it happens man <laughs> the women take care of you it's wrestling and he was just like damn okay so we got a ride from her thank god and all the guys would give us rides though we had to stay there a week though so then we go back to florida and then kern and them have that tv whatever the hell it was and then they they just used that a couple of times. Then they went up there and did the same thing. Kern and Grab did the opening with Gordon. Same shit again. You know, and they act like it was Florida wrestling again. Then they finally got some, like a religious TV station or something. It wasn't powerful enough to, to air their show, you know. And then I was still running my shows. And I had one on the same day they did one time. And I remember Gordon kept saying, you could just tell he was trying to get me to cancel mine, Gordon Soley. And I was like, well, I make more money doing my show than I do from these so with their paying shit. And then, uh, so he, I wouldn't cancel mine. And then we kind of like, you could just tell there was like starting to be like where they didn't want me to run mine. And then what happened was I got a fair and they were trying to get all the fairs too. And I got a fair and the fairs back then, this is like 1988. So that'd be what, 30 years ago. Yeah. I, uh, the fairs paid like seven thousand, seventy five hundred, eight hundred, eight thousand bucks or something, you know, for one night. And then you just had to get like a couple of main event guys or whatever. And they lived right here. No trans, nothing. They just drive there like blackjack or somebody. Cause they didn't even have talent like that. Blackjack Mulligan. I had more than they did really. Cause I had Dory Funk. He wouldn't even work for them. Cause they said, uh, I remember Mike Graham said he wanted, he asked Dory for how much for, um, three dates, three shows I have for you. And Dory told him, uh, 300 a night. So 900. And Mike said, no, 300 with a 100 a night. And, uh, I guess that he hung up on Dory or Dory hung up on him, one or the other. <laughs> but I paid, you know, I paid Dory 500, I remember. I was like, I'm going to pay him good. It's like, I mean, I got a guaranteed show. 300 a I night isn't five. ridiculous in 1988. Yeah. That's know, not ridiculous not. at all. That, that was cheap for Dory. Fall. I yeah. mean, shit. And then, I mean, and Blackjack was 
they, they wouldn't. They weren't going to work for you know Graham and them because it was like that. And then I got to work for no you know fifty bucks, hundred bucks or whatever. So I got blackjack too, five hundred. I mean, I paid all of them better than they did. And then uh, so they were getting pissed about that. I had all the <laughs> a lot of names, and I got the fair. And then all of a sudden it was like enemies. All of a sudden, you know, promotional war. And it was the funniest thing was Hiro Matsuda was always with them for how many years? Jesus. I mean, before I ever even met him, because he was friends with me, Matsuda. He used to come to my house and everything. It was like he didn't like too many people. For some reason, he liked me. And then he's the one that took me up in Japan and all the stuff. He had me help him train guys and all the stuff. But he uh, he came to my house in Orlando. He lived in Tampa. He drove all the way up here and went, came to my shows free a couple of times and walked out with a couple of his guys, like a manager, and didn't even want no money or anything. Anyway, he uh, he was my like my spy. They don't even know that till they hear this. <laughs> he was going. <laughs> they still had the op- yeah. They, because he, yeah, cause he still owned the uh, everything with Mike, you know. It was half his. He owned half the the office there, the Sportatorium. Matsuda owned half of that. And then they were trying to cut him out of it, too, kind of. Because they kept, you know, come up telling me, oh, yeah, you, you know, his guy is, you know, talk, you know, putting him down a little bit. I was like, fucking heroes, the damn guy that started everybody in the damn business around here. Bob Orton, uh, Orndorff, everybody. <laughs> and then I go, uh, he just kept saying, yeah, he don't know how to, you know, train good or whatever. Mike was telling him, I was like, yeah, right. And then, uh, and they could just tell they were trying to, you know, get him out of the, you know, edge him out of it. So he, uh, he went in the office because it was his damn office too. And he, he heard tra- uh, somebody on the phone. I think it was Kern telling, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, some fair that Jerry Gray is lying. He can't get these talent, these guys he's saying he can get, we can get them. This is Steve Kerr, you know. We can get the talent, these big names like Black Jack Mulligan and Terry Funk and Jerry Gray can't get these people. And Matsuda came right there and called me and said, Taught that fair because Steve Kern's saying that you're lying. And all. He told me exactly what Kern said. <laughs> and I called the fair and told him, Yeah, you want me to have Terry Funk call you right now? Because I can get all the people I just said because I had the contract almost signed. And I got it away from Sergeant Slaughter was doing fairs at that time too with, um, God, I can't even remember, but he was like ahead of it. He almost he had it too almost. I yeah, didn't and know I got that. it away from Yeah. Yeah, I, Slaughter was doing it with somebody in Florida, like fairs. He'd already did one and he was trying to get that one same time I was. Everybody was fighting over it because it was like, you know, eight thousand bucks back then, thirty years ago, whatever that'd be now. And all you had to have was a couple of big names. But I, I really loaded it though, because I wanted to have a hell of a show and I ended up that was a good thing, even though I didn't make as much as I would have. If I would have done like them, you know, pay everybody 50 bucks or whatever they would have done. I got all big names. I had Terry. That's the show you've seen. I had Terry Funk, um, Wendy Richter when she was just right off, you know, right after had WWF, that crap happened with whatever she, uh, Moolah did to her with the spider gimmick. Remember she, uh, yes. they had Moolah stretch her, not a thing or whatever. I don't even know. I don't think Moolah could have stretched her in a real thing. But anyway, the, uh, that whole thing is I so had weird. Wendy Richter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. I had her when she was hot though, because that's who they really wanted. I was like, the fair, when I said that, because they go, yeah, you guys almost got the same names, you and, uh, Mike Graham, you know, because I said Black Jim Mulligan. He was saying all them names. Anybody could say it to get it from me, you know. I said Black Jim Mulligan, Dory Funk, uh, Terry Funk. Cause they didn't have Terry Funk because he's he wanted you know to fly be flown and everything first class I think and everything that was right after he did that movie too because he looked really cut up with everything remember that it was was it Roadhouse Roadhouse yeah. something he did he looked just like that whatever he did in the movie <laughs> yeah. though his hair, his hair was short and he had abs and everything he looked good that was a, that was a good match <laughs> he he could go but anyway it was uh I had all them though the Funks Blackjack Mulligan Wendy Richter 
um, and a lot of other like good workers. They weren't real big names, but I mean, they were all good workers. Uh, Frankie Lancaster, remember him? Yeah. I think he was on the show. Frankie Lancaster, um, Malia Hosaka. She was on the, um, there was a bunch of other ones too, like smaller names, whatnot. Anyway, I had all them. So I didn't make as much, but I, I ended up having shows with that guy for years after that because he was actually a, uh, Phantasma Productions. They did like rock concerts and everything. They used, I don't know if they're still around or not, but he started booking me like in all kinds of different places. I didn't realize he didn't just do the West Palm Fair. He did like all kinds of places he booked for, like fairs and all kinds of stuff all over the place. So I ended up doing shows with him for years just because of the good show I gave him, you know, so many names. But I took it from them, so that really pissed them off. I didn't take it from them. I just got the show and they didn't, you know. That's all that happened. And then, so they really got mad then. Uh, Graham and all them. So then Matsuda kept being on my side, though. And then Duke Yamoko even would call me and tell me stuff. It was all all the guy office all the office guys were on my side. It was funny as hell. And then they would give me shows like Duke Yamoko said, oh, "I got a place that wants uh, all lady wrestlers, blah, 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 something." And I was like, everybody was giving me all the old timers, the real legends were giving me all the information, you know. And then they they were pissed at them for some reason. I don't know. They tried to get them out of it, you know. Like they did Jack Pfeffer, same thing, you know, get him out of New York, get him out, and we don't want him no more. Yeah. And then, uh, like, that's what they did. That's what they did to Hero and Duke. It's just like these guys have been with Eddie Graham from the, almost the beginning, and then just, oh, yeah, get him out of here. We don't need them anymore. So, well, let so me ask you this. Me. Yeah, let me ask yeah. you this real quick, and we'll get back to this. But okay. obviously, you were there when Eddie Graham was alive, so you got to see the way he was in the office. You got to see the way he was around the people that work there. When Eddie passes yeah. away, and Mike is now in charge. Did Mike, what level of respect did everyone have for Mike? Because I know a lot of people liked him. A lot of people partied with him. But in terms of him mm-hmm. being the boss of the office, do you think he had the respect needed to really do that job, or do you even think he had the ability to really run a wrestling office? He was good later when he was at WCW. I think he used all of his, you know, his dad's like ideas and stuff he had but at that time he wasn't even really around hardly ever i mean he didn't even like when eddie eddie died mike wasn't even when i came back to florida it was not that long after eddie died like 80 right at the beginning of 86 i came back so um he wasn't even around any the shows hardly had the tv they just had the booker run everything and then the office like upstairs it was matsuda duke Yamoka, and danny miller but not, I never seen Mike Hartley ever there because we'd go in his office and watch all the old tapes of Johnny Valentine and everybody. And he'd come in sometimes and get mad because we're in his office. How far back did those tapes go? That's the question I've always had. Cause I always wondered how much Malenko Eddie Graham stuff would actually exist. How how far back did those tapes go to the best of your knowledge? Was there a lot of black and white footage? Yeah. Yeah, But it's just like, I don't know what the hell that man's doing with it. I've never even got to see Malenko. I mean, like in, in Louis Tillett, the guy trained me and everything on, I mean, I've never seen him actually on the TV show from Florida, so they, they have to have it, though, because I've seen the one with Johnny Valentine, even. He was coming way back before them, even. So, uh, look, I don't know if it was black and white because it was a real small TV. I'm the one I was even interested in it, really. I was the one up there watching it, and then uh, Ron Bass came in there, I remember, and said, oh, that, that's a hell of a worker there, Johnny Valentine. And then, uh, yeah, I was watching that. And I remember Gene Anderson had all the tapes, too, at the Charlotte office. He used to show me Johnny Valentine all the time. Really? Everybody always talked about yeah, because well, I liked his 
his style too. So wait, what? What, what, what did Gene Anderson have? You would have been that would have been 1983. We're talking about. You said, yeah. What did Gene Anderson I, have yeah. of Johnny Valentine at that time? Oh. That's when I lived with him, so I would go to the office, and he was trying to teach me stuff. He actually took me down to the Charlotte Coliseum, too, and showed me how to take uh, back to – because Gene was a hell of a worker. But he, when he was old, he had – I guess he had that stroke in his neck. You know, he'd move his neck like that all the time, twitch. Yeah. But he uh, – even then, he was still wrestling even then, and he'd take like a, you know, eight, nine-foot back up then. He, he could still take really good bumps and everything, the shape he was in even. But anyway, he uh, – yeah, he showed me how to take backdrops, everything at the Coliseum. He took me down there with Bill Howard. You ever heard of that guy? He was a hell of a worker. Yeah. Brad Amaya, so he was ICW. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was a hell of a worker. He just didn't never get a push. He was just he made everybody. He taught everybody like Ricky Steamboat and all them, but he, he just never made it because he didn't have the look or whatever. But he just he was a hell of a worker though, and the mind and everything. He knew how to teach people. But anyway, he uh, him and Gene Anderson, the ones that took me down to the coliseum there i remember and uh taught me a lot of stuff but gene had the tapes of uh it was right there in the office the charlotte's office because uh the funniest thing was when they sent me up to charlotte uh i thought dusty sent me there but then i found out you know jj was his assistant jj Dillon, and he really did pretty much everything i mean he did all the work and then uh then when i got to charlotte uh dory and terry told me that yeah jj's been calling us all the time telling us how good you are now Look you up here, I was like, oh, JJ's the one that did all this. Because <laughs> I kept thinking Dusty, thanking him, and he looked like, you know, like he felt like he didn't deserve to be thanked. Like, what the hell are you talking about? And then uh, I got there, though, and the, the funniest thing is I had I had no money. I mean, I just started wrestling. I was 18, and I uh, only had, like, Eddie Graham one gave me, like, one or two matches a week if I was lucky. So then I get there to wrestle full-time. I walk in. I didn't understand. Eddie Graham didn't care what you wore into the office, you know. You can come in flip-flops and, you know, whatever, shorts. So I walk in the Charlotte office, right, where they're used to Ric Flair walking in with a suit and everything or whatever. So I walk in with sandals. My first day to get my booking. I think that's the time. I didn't tell you about this part. I told I told you I had to keep calling Gene to get the uh, uh, what you call address to the apartment I'm supposed yeah. to live in, you know, with Jake. So the first time, actually, when I first went there, though, I didn't even know Gene was going to be in the office. He had a different office that was closed or whatever the door. I couldn't even get in the office. That's right. I didn't. I wasn't even allowed in there because I walked in. Dory was the booker. I walked in with flip-flops on, and uh, I had pants, but like jeans that weren't very fancy or anything, and then, you know, some kind of shirt, normal looking, not very good. And then I walk in like that, though, and Dory goes, did Crockett see you? He's the booker, Dory, right? And I said, no. He goes, go out and leave quick. Go get some better clothes on. I think I had shorts on at first. That's right. And then I went out in my car and got, I had everything I had in my car, you know. I hadn't even moved into any apartment yet or anything. (laughs) So I'm like, uh, I walk in back to my car and I just put, I had shorts on. That's right. And flip flops at first walk out to my car. And I put jeans on with the flip flops still everything. <laughs> I walk back in again. He goes, uh, he said, Oh, you don't, Oh my God. No, just go, just go to a phone booth and call me. And I'll tell you the bookings. Just leave quick for Crockett. See you. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? What the hell kind of place is this? I was like, Oh my God, I got no fucking money. Give me some money. And then I'll go buy clothes. And then, so then I go to the phone booth and he's like, okay this is your bookings and then he said uh, that's why i talked to gene too i was like where's the apartment i already told you that story he's like what jake what he's like oh you're gonna live there (laughs) okay uh, who are you anyway (laughs) and then i'm like uh, that's so damn funny dory i never did go in that damn office again for a long time i remember i was scared to death and then you know what the hell's gonna happen they're gonna kill me because i got no good clothes on no then i did go back and i i think i bought some uh 
I think I used something Jake had there. He had some some kind of he didn't dress that good either. Really, he never went in the office either. But anyway, I had some kind of boots or something I put on. Well, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Little go known ahead. fact: the reason Jim Crockett has not appeared on this show is my love of flip flops. My refusal to wear socks and shoes. Oh yeah, almost yeah, yeah. all year is the reason I haven't had. Jim oh Crockett God, on. no. <laughs> yeah, well. He was a jerk anyway, so don't worry about him. But he, <laughs> he uh, and, the, and then when I did meet him, I told you what he did. He came in the, so, well, what happened was, Dory, I, I called him from the phone booth, and then he told me the bookings or whatever, blah, blah. So then I uh, I get to the apartment, and I think Jake had some kind of cowboy boots I put on or something. And then I put that on and went back in there. And then, uh, God, what the hell was so fucking funny? I was going to tell you. Okay, let me see. Where was we at before that? Okay, Crockett. Okay, Crockett, yeah. Then I go to do the TV. That's what I had to do. The TV, uh, they had a TV station. I can't remember the name of it. Somewhere in Charlotte, big TV studio where they did the tapings. I never seen any of them tapes either. I wish I could find the, t- you know, the Crockett's TV show where he had like all the different flags hanging on the. You yeah, remember that? Yeah, one? that stuff's yeah, Mid Atlantic Wrestling. Once again, Is anyone okay. out there who has any footage of Jerry yeah. Gray, get in touch with the show or get in touch with Jerry directly, and let's uh, try to do what we can to make sure he can watch yeah. his body of work. Uh, you know, everyone wants yeah, to one- do that. What I, what I want to see is the first match I had on Crockett TV. I mean, I did the house show on uh, Savannah was my first house show. And that was me and Jake against Giant Baba and uh, Tenru. Because <laughs> they came, I told you, from uh, Japan yeah. to uh, all Japan to do a TV taping for some reason. And I have that tape somehow. I found after all the years, I just got it a couple of years ago. DVD, it's like uh, me and Jake against Baba and uh, Tenru. And they filmed it for the Japan. It was weird. Terry Funk was there for that and everything. And I remember they paid me, this is 83, and they paid me 200 for that night, and Crockett paid me 200 because it was Savannah, huge Civic Center. I forget how many I held, like whatever, 8000 or something. So I got a hell of a payoff because I was broke from being with Eddie Graham, you know, starting out. He wanted to starve you to death. He even did that to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan says, you know, give him one or two bookings a week in Miami, you know, from Tampa, like 300 miles trips yeah. or whatever. That's what he did. He'd book you as far as you could and see if you really want to do this, you know. He'd never get booked in your hometown like Idol says. That's true. He never yeah. got to work in Tampa Armory. It's like they book you. I lived in Orlando. I never worked here. Till I worked like three years, and then I finally maybe did. But anyway, so what happened was uh, Savannah, I worked and got that hell of a payoff that first night. It was like, Jesus, that's the most I ever made in fucking one day, definitely, in wrestling for back then, you know. So then I uh, do the Crockett's TV, okay, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, the TV show, my first show. And I wanted to impress it because they knew me from Florida. A lot of the guys did Dory knew me from down there, Florida. Say when he was booking in Tampa first when I first started Dory, and then he came to Charlotte to book. So my first match, I didn't even know. I knew Bob Orton who he was from watching. You know, I think he was on WWF back in the early '80s against Bob Backlund and all yeah. that. So I didn't, I didn't know how good a worker he was though. I mean, because. Back then, I just went by how good they looked, you know. I was more like a fan. I didn't understand how this guy is really a great worker, you know, even though he doesn't look that great or whatever. But I didn't know how good he was. And then, so I asked Jake, is he any good? And <laughs> Jake was like, he's great. Jesus, Bob Wharton <laughs> Jr. And then, yeah, I was like, is he any good? Like, he's like, he's a guy sucker. And then, uh, <laughs> so Jake was like, uh, looking at me like, you're fucking crazy, man. And then he's a badass too, he said. And then here comes Crockett walking in. I didn't know who the hell he was because he was never on. TV, I don't think at that time that I ever seen, back way back then, you know. 
he didn't go on TV much, but anyway, he I shook hands with him like you do everybody, you know. And he just he wasn't used to that. He don't talk to you unless you're Ric Flair. Or, he didn't even talk to Jake. I mean, he talked to like Ric Flair and the top top guy, you know, Booker or whoever. <laughs> but he wouldn't even look at you, Jim Crockett. Sometimes, like when you say hi to him, I'd like to knock him out right now just for doing that. <laughs> but you had to take it then because you worked for him, you know. Yeah. You could walk down the hall and say hi, Jim. How you doing? Or hi, Mister Crockett. He would just look up in there like he didn't even hear you. So I went right to his face, though. I had never met him. I just started working for him, right? I walked right to him. He had to do it. I walked right to him and shake his hand. And I go, Jerry Gray. And he goes, with his big bug eyes, he goes, good to see you. You just tell him it killed him to do that. And I went to Jake. I said, who the hell is that bug-eyed son of a bitch? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can Bob Orton Jr. Man. work? And who is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I had a good attitude. <laughs> and then I, Jake is just like, man, what the hell? I hope you know how to work, shoot for real stuff you're saying, man, with Bob Wharton Jr. and everybody. <laughs> Dick Slater, I'm like, what? What are you fucking worried about, Dick Slater? <laughs> Remember, I told about the wife. I said, what the fuck? If you like the girl, I said, if you like the girl, who gives a shit? And he goes, no, no, this is Slater we're talking about. It still like, didn't oh, stop him, okay. though. It still didn't stop, Jake. No, no. Um, let me I ask you believe. this. I don't know. You yeah. know, we've had, we've had so much fun talking about Jake. And by the way, Jake, if you're listening, you still owe Jerry $2,000. Yeah, I still like you, but fuck, I like my money. Yeah, he needs it right now. <laughs> so, uh, Jake, yeah. or whoever listens on behalf of Jake, do the right thing. Yeah. Do the right thing. But, yeah. you know, we've had fun talking about him, but you mentioned previously that you learned a lot from Jake. So, yeah. in terms of when you get there, beyond, like, you know, all the fun of living with him, and, or not maybe not fun, but, you know, beyond all the hijinks <laughs> no. of being around Jake outside of the ring, in terms of in the ring, in terms of at the show, what did you learn from him? They would be at the car in the car, like people say. There's no car, like Cornette always says. That. And I think a lot of people do. Really, the older wrestlers, like in the car rides, is when you learn so much because it's like on the way back they tell you like what you did wrong, you know. So um, he would tell me like, uh, I'm not gonna say that because that's my idol. <laughs> I told you that already. I think. Yeah, you told me that to off. Kinda, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, walk around. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about 242 pounds, Las Vegas, Nevada, the greatest all-around athlete of all time. Now you have to tell the story <laughs> that you did the impression. <laughs> the, old, <laughs> the greatest all-around athlete of all time. What's that? <laughs> no, no. Anyway, I would uh, try to act like – you can't try to act like somebody else, in other words. If, you know, walk the way you walk or whatever and, you know, the style. You know, when I first started, I was around real old-timers like Buddy Fuller, um, Tony Charles, you know, the shooter, Tony Charles. Yeah. And uh, Louis Tillette, when I went to Ohio that time, it was like Tony Charles, Louis Tillette, Buddy Fuller. What's that guy, Golden, the old one? Um, Jimmy Golden's dad? What's his damn name? You know, oh, I'm not, about? Bill, a promoter. not Bill Golden. Um... The one that's like the, the Jimmy Golden's dad. He was an old promoter, too. I mean, I was around all the old, old timers. I mean, because Louis was like with them running that Ohio thing, and I had to hang with all them. It was like all oh, the real old guys, and then so they had a different style of like the, the newer guys, but it was really good what they were telling me. But um, yeah, Bill Golden, guy. Bill Golden is Jimmy Golden's Bill, yeah, dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was Bill yeah. So, so they were putting me and uh, some other young guy in the ring, um, and we were almost shooting with each other because Louis trained us stiff. I mean, so we were going almost shooting, and then uh, so he told him, and I was like going around like when you shoot, you know, you shake your hands around trying to distract the guy and jumping all over the ring, walking around fast, you know. So they were like, I uh, walked back to the dressing room. Tony Charles was like, because uh, he was a hell of a shooter too. I'm sure you heard him and 
Billy Robinson. I got to tell you something about Billy Robinson, what he did to me too one time. He liked to sucker, you know, sucker punch you. So while I worked for AWA one time, this is a quick thing. AWA I worked for one time in um, Vancouver, Canada. Don Owen sent me out there for Ganya. And that's when it was real hot too. Road Wars were there and uh, Jimmy Garvin, what's that called? Kurt Hennig and uh, what's you call it? Billy Robinson. There was a lot of big names. The house was huge too. So anyway, me and Jimmy Offie, Superfly Offie, he was. Remember he tried to do the. Oh yeah, uh, I played gimmick. that audio okay. on the air where they actually introduce him <laughs> in Madison Square yeah, Garden. First of all, I for heard, reasons I, I don't understand, they played the theme to Shaft. And then they oh, send Jesus. out super. They get the wrong black exploitation film, and then they oh, send out. God. They announce here he is. I know Superfly. And as soon as the word Superfly comes out, the place goes nuts. And then they don't even hear I the know. name C.V. Afi. So it takes a few seconds in the match to realize. Then he walks out. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I heard it. It's on your thing, right? The podcast. Yeah, I yeah. I played it on the show that. a while. I heard back. it. Yeah, I, I heard it. Yeah, I did. I heard it. So yeah, it's funny as shit. It's like, oh my god, the people are like, what the hell? But anyway, it's me. Don Owens set both of us there to, uh, it was a long trip to from uh, Portland to uh, wherever, Vancouver. But anyway, we go there and then we're in that a battle royal is what they had. So Billy Robinson, I didn't know any stories about him at that time, how tough he was and how he likes to hurt people and everything. You know how Billy Graham tells the story. He had a razor blade on his finger and he told Billy Robinson, I know you're going to try to hurt me. If you do, I'm going to cut you his throat with this he says that i don't know i think billy robinson would have done something right there but he said billy robinson turned white but i mean that's what he said i don't know who knows i don't know if he had the guts to tell billy robinson that yeah, who said that billy graham he yeah said, i know you can exactly. hurt me back way back then yeah. you know i was like shit billy robinson i don't know about that come on and then somebody pulled his eye out it's like too many people say they pulled people's eyes out like jesse barr he doesn't have a glass eye i mean they said that I mean, he could do it if he wanted to, but Tonga even says he did not pull his eye out, like they say, you know. I thought he bit off his he nose. Broke his ribs. Oh. <laughs> I always heard that he, he that says, he bit off his nose, not that he ripped his eye out. But you know, there I haven't seen oh. Jesse Barr in a lot of years, and yeah, there are different stories He's on about. Facebook, but, okay. Well, he beat him up. Uh, it said like took about. I mean, Jesse Barr was like almost an Olympic wrestler too, but yeah. Tonga beat him up. But he was just. Uh, I think he broke his rib like in ten seconds. Broke his ribs and did something. He said he almost. Had the eye. He tells the story. Tonga does even. He had the finger in the eye almost, but he didn't do it. He said he felt he was getting ready to do it. And he's like, no, I can't do this. But he didn't do it to him. He did it to people in bars, like not the wrestlers and not the boys. He did it to, uh, he bit a guy's nose off in a bar. I think it happened either, maybe a couple times. Yeah. And Jake told me he's seen it. And he's, he's seen it. He said then uh, the nose was like on the ground quivering like <laughs> the nerves or whatever. <laughs> That's what Jake says. I don't know, but I heard he did definitely bite one guy's nose off for sure. Yeah, and he was he was a nice guy though. If you just another guy, I didn't know how tough he was. Like Bob Wharton, was he any good? I'm sitting there riding with him and uh, and somebody else to uh, Miami. My first one of my first road trips, and then he told me he told all of us. I remember he said, "I but that was back in eighty eighty one. I mean, he told some he told us in the car. He said the reason I bit." this guy's nose off was and that was way back then so he's been biting noses off for a while <laughs> but anyway he uh he uh he said the reason i bit the guy's nose off is he called me uh you know the n-word that's why he would make him so mad oh, when they did that that's a good for some reason. reason i don't know that's a good reason yeah i know he, he did but he said he bit that was way back then 81 so who knows how many noses noses he's, he's had 
that's pretty nasty. I have to find something else to bite off, I think, from the nose. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Billy Robinson grabs our damn. This is what an asshole. Okay, it's a battle royal, right? That's what I hate about the shooters. They don't tell you, like some of the shooters, you know, I don't know why they just don't tell you. Okay, let's shoot. Defend yourself. So, he, you know, you think they're going to bang your heads together. It'll work, you know, let you put your hand up or whatever. And Jimmy off, I mean, uh, yeah, Jimmy Offy, he's like a Samoan, a head, hard head, you know. So he he acts like he's got to work, bang our heads together, Billy Robinson, right? And, I mean, hard as he can, our heads hit. It was like he getting hit with a sledgehammer. Uh, that's what he did. Sucker doesn't just, mm-hmm. I mean, hard as he could, slammed, slammed our heads together. <laughs> and then uh, then he goes walking off laughing. Somebody else runs away like, and then Jimmy Offy told me he already knew him as an asshole. He stuff like that he would do <laughs> it was just a little story but the old timers in ohio told me like to uh not walk around jumping like that because i would try to copy exactly you know whoever i liked when i first was a fan you know <laughs> and i loved austin idol i loved austin idol style and everything and the way he acted is cool but i can't you know you can't do somebody the way somebody else walks around you know like terry funk the way he dick slater does kind of like his stuff but it don't look like terry funk exactly you know he's the only one he can do his the way he jumps around, you know, and that style he does when he sells, especially and everything. Yeah. You know, Terry Funk, the way he, nobody can do that style he does. So anyway, I'd do that. And then they all told me, quit jumping around the ring like that. Quit. You're so nervous, you know, <laughs> hopping around the ring or whatever. And I was like, well, and they said, just walk around the ring like you're looking for a place to take a shit. <laughs> I was like, damn, that sounds pretty, that's, that sounds pretty boring. <laughs> but that's the way they, they did, though, back in the, their day. And I was just going to walk around like nothing, but... That's what uh, Jake told me. The to, he didn't say that. He just said you got to do psychology. He said, "Grab the guy and I." Okay, you're a heel. He said, "Just let the guy work your head. Let him keep going back to the headlock. Do a high spot. Start off slow." Back then, you know, I mean, it even working out really. The people need to slow down. But anyway, grab a headlock. Hey, guy gives you in the headlock. Everything you go back to the headlock. The babyface gets you back in the headlock or arm or whatever you got to do. Just let him keep taking your arm, taking arm drags, go back to the spot, whatever. And then when you get your heat, finally, get the heat, blah, 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 kick in the gear, and then get him in a whatever kind of hold you're going to get the people, you know, you know, uh, cheering for him or whatever. And then you do spots from there, keep your heat, just like that. Simple stuff. But I mean, he told me a lot of stuff like that. And then how to, uh, Gene Anderson told me how to take backdrops, though, man, like push up like that and go look up like you're looking up at the ceiling. Because I used to go, I used to love taking high back drops. Um, there's some of that on it. Mid, Mid-South, I have at least some of my uh, matches on Mid-South TV. I think, it was I think you may have gotten yeah. some of those from me in the 90s. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Some of your people on there, John McAdam, man. Yeah. I, I, bought, I used to I used to buy a lot of tapes from everybody, too, because I didn't have any that many of the trade, you know, at that when I first started collecting them. Because I was on the road all the time, I didn't have you know VCRs or anything. Even until I came back to Florida, and then I, I started saying, Man, I want some of these matches I've had. And then John McAdam, I bought a lot from him. And Steve Freilander, you ever heard of him? That guy must have Steve Freilander. He had the biggest list. Freiland, Freiland. Oh my god! Oh my god! The list. Yeah, he's. I mean, <laughs> oh my god! I had. He must have ten million tapes. Let me. He still sends lists. Does so he? He, anyway, he. Uh, yeah, I still get updates sometimes. But get the like, fuck geez, out of here! That guy. No, and I've I got millions of tapes from him. I mean, I don't know how many thousands, and then somebody else too. And I remember you. I remember you called me from uh, God. Where was it from? You were young because it had to be like nineties. God, what was it? Well, you were at Fan Week. Maybe, I was at Fan Week at ninety five. I don't know if it would have been if it was. It may have been there somewhere, or it may have been after you, that. But yeah, that was around the time I was talking I met, to you. 
because I remember your name and I remember the uh, you were on the interview, kind of like the first interview ever. Remember what Cornette did with all you guys? I was on when a you couple guys of were those. Asking him questions. Yeah. Yeah, because well, yeah, I remember him saying your name and stuff. And then, yeah, I, I like that tape. I watched it a thousand times at least. And then the, uh, yeah, with Cornette's answering stuff. And you guys are like, what's the sickest thing you ever seen somebody do? And he was like, uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that on tape. <laughs> you know, it's the sickest thing a guy ever did or whatever. I <laughs> asked him a bunch of really good questions in 95. And yeah. the one that people still, mainly David Nixon's yeah. fan, but the one that people still remind me that I asked is when I said, oh, yeah. Jim goes to me thinking I'm going to ask another really good question. He goes, Brian, you have a good question. What's your question? And it's something we <laughs> yeah. had talked about on that trip, me and all the fans. We, I said, I said, Jim, what's the deal with Robert Gibson's eyes? And oh, he, Jesus. <laughs> everyone popped, but he couldn't answer that. Because he was there, too. He was there working. Well, he, wasn't, yeah, he was there working, but he wasn't luckily at the pool eating pizza. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, the pizza one. Is that where Brian Hildebrand's sitting there? Too? Yeah, yeah. Like that's, with, uh, yeah. yeah. That's 95. That one, that's 95. I couldn't yeah. hear that one. Yeah, I couldn't hear that one as good. Though. I remember the other one though, where I don't know where you guys were at in a room, maybe hotel room or something. Yeah, it was in a maybe hotel. Yeah, first, was that the first one? The hotel I wasn't one? at the first one in '93. I went in '94. Oh. '94 was oh, the one okay. where Jim is wearing a red T-shirt and red short. He's just all red, and it's a red room with wood, and everything just looks red. <laughs> yeah, That's '94, yeah, yeah. and then '95. Oh, okay. It was poolside with jim Cornette and yeah Brian Hildebrand. i remember that because he kept wanting something but he, is that when he got the sick from the pepsi and he started drinking the other thing instead of sprite or something uh, maybe maybe, maybe caffeine or something he kept wanting i remember he, he give me another what is it sprite he drinks now sprite yeah something, i remember he he kept saying but the funny thing was uh damn i just had something oh lano they kept saying ban uh lano ban him yeah remember that oh i remember was that the that. one you were at well in 94 94- was when he told the story of some of the craziness i didn't know about him trying to book jim in japan or any of that other stuff and then 95 was after uh there had been a few letters in the observer written about lano and i said um you know what i I mentioned lano and then he said by the way everyone i banned lano this year because we had too many complaints i don't know who was complaining i wouldn't have complained about mike lano being there no but apparently some people actually complained so he was uninvited he was the only person ever uninvited from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's weird. Week. Yeah. I heard him saying that, yeah. But I, I didn't – see, I didn't know any story about him ever, even though I read The Observer starting in like 80. The funniest part was – it was got heat if you did that because Bobby Fulton brought one into the uh, Baton Rouge dressing room in Mid-South, I remember. And, uh, and Bill – he wasn't there, Bill Watts, but I think it was Grizzly or somebody got mad because he had that in there. He was showing, I think, me or something. You know what the funny thing is, playing. though? You know what the funny thing is? What? At that time, no. I believe Dave Meltzer was already talking to the office. I remember Eddie Gilbert. I hung with Eddie Gilbert all the time in Mid-South when he was there in 85, I guess. It was. We were partners a lot, yeah. too. There's a, there's one thing on YouTube, a big-ass house in Tulsa, me and uh, Eddie Fest. against the Fantastics. Yeah, that was a huge fucking house, and it was me and Eddie against the uh, Fantastics. Yeah. You seen that one? Yeah, that was the outdoor good, show where they brought Wahoo in. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a hell of a house. Too. But the uh, Eddie, I used to go to his apartment every day, and then because I lived in some dump in uh, Alexandria, even though I made big money, I wanted to save money, and so I lived in a, like at Leroy's Motel it was called Cajun Motel. Like, <laughs> it was horrible, and uh, and then Eddie'd be like, "Well, you gotta go back to Leroy's." He said, "What the fuck? Stay here, man. <laughs> Stay here a while. Talk to me." And his dad lived right next to him. It was the funniest part. So me and Eddie'd be over there, and and then little Tokyo. 
was there at that time and he liked to smoke in a weed. <laughs> Wait, so this Tokyo. is your this is your crew. It's Golden Boy Jerry Gray, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, and Little Tokyo. <laughs> I'd be another damn drawing for Travis to do. Oh my God. So we're standing there passing it back of he loved to ride with me too. All the all the little guys did the uh, Cowboy Lang and uh Tokyo and who the hell was it? But I got him so damn I'd always ride with Bill Dundee for some reason, the booker, you know, the best guy you could ride with. <laughs> another Jeez, little guy, yeah. He didn't like anybody else, though, really. I don't know what it was, but there's nobody one time. I don't know. I always rode with him, just me and him mostly, and then Dutch sometimes. But it was like the Booker. He had some kind of car. It said Superstar on the side of it, I think. And then uh, what he, I learned a lot from him, too, just listening, like I told you, with the headphones sometimes, and then uh, him and Dutch. But then uh, Ron West was really smart, too. People, A lot of people don't know. He's a referee, but he had a lot of good ideas. Yeah, he worked in a lot for, of offices, uh, too. Yeah, he was good. And then, but anyway, the uh, Eddie Gilbert, I was talking, he had a newsletter. I remember back in 85. I don't know what the hell it was, but he was reading it. And he said, I thought you were just in Oregon. I didn't know you were a top guy. You beat Ed Wiskowski. You beat uh, Rip Oliver. You beat Kendall Nagasaki. He was reading all the results from I just came from Oregon, you know. I was like, oh, whatever. He goes, I thought you were just in Oregon. I didn't know you were on top. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then uh, it was so funny because I'd rip him because I remember he was a pen pal in the magazine when he was a little kid, you know. Yeah. Eddie Gobert was in there once. He was a pen pal, though, and he said he wasn't. I said, I had the damn magazine back in Orlando. I know you were, man. Don't lie. And he'd be like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> he gets so bothered. He'd be like, no, I wasn't, man. Well, no, no, no. He was thinking somebody else. And then I found that it was him. It's so funny. I was like, I don't care. I would have been too. Shit, I didn't put my picture. And then, uh, <laughs> but we would go in his apartment. That was so damn funny. And we would uh, party and everything. And then uh, that midget come over there because he'd be with Tommy, the midget would at first. This ain't nothing bad. I mean, everybody knows them. it wasn't no drug or anything. It was just weed or whatever. Yeah. That's not a drug. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, the midget, the midget, you know, the midget, normal thing nowadays, Jesus. Anyway, the midget would come over because he'd, he'd be over at Tommy's right next door and he'd, he'd want to come over here with us because he could tell what we were doing, you know, uh, little Tokyo. He's like, I want to go over there. I've been trying to get over here, Jesus. And then he came over there and we get him all. And then we, uh, what the hell was so funny? One time, Eddie was married to that girl. I can't remember her damn name. He was getting ready to marry her. The, she did the sold the gimmicks for Mid South. His first wife. I can't remember her name. Anyway, she sold all the gimmicks for Mid South. She drove like a big, uh, looked like a big uh, UPS truck, a bread truck or whatever, with all the gimmicks for Bill Watts. I didn't so know Eddie this. was getting ready. To, yeah, yeah. Eddie was getting ready to marry her. I can't remember her name. But I'd go to Eddie's apartment every night, every day, or whatever we were off, whatever day we were off, or ride with him all the time. Me, him, and Carl Ferguson. And then, uh, yeah, Cornette was talking about Fergie last time a little bit. But anyway, the uh, you know Lawler's cousin, Carl Fergie, and Wayne Ferris's cousin. Yeah. So anyway, we would all ride together with Eddie. That was a Tennessee click. And then, uh, so me and Eddie one time are making a trip. Yeah, Fergie was on that one, too, with that girl, the ring truck, or not the ring truck, but the gimmick truck. Uh, we're all riding in that thing. It looked like Cheech and Chong's van, kind of, in that movie, Up and Smoke, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looked like that type of thing. But anyway, we're, we're riding in that thing, right? And we're... Eddie was just so damn funny. We could never look at each other without laughing like hell about something. I was always cracking up everything we did. And then we're uh, we're in that van, and I had somehow I was taking Diana Ball, you know. I didn't take many steroids, but I did a little bit. And I took some Diana Ball or something too much, maybe. And I started having a seizure, I thought, oh, in the shit. van, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it just happened a few times that I quit taking it. I only took it for a couple of months and it kept happening to me like some fucking weird shit. I started spinning everywhere and then I had some kind of pills they gave me at the doctor once I had a seizure, they said, in Oregon from the steroids, I guess. And then 
or it could have been the mushrooms in Oregon. They gave me too some fucking oh, good rats stuff. gave me gave me a bunch of mushrooms and and my uh, hot chocolate. They put too many mushrooms one time in your hot chocolate. <laughs> the, uh, wow. Oh yeah, back in Oregon was like the damn 60s. It was like behind time. I mean, they, in eighty eighty five, they still thought they were in like hippies and uh, what you would call it uh, Woodstock or something. I'm telling you, they still had like acid and chocolate mescaline, all kinds of shit. All them girls had. And then the somebody put it in my hot chocolate. I think it was Tom Pritchard. <laughs> anyway, he uh, yeah, it was me and Tom Pritchard. We lived right next to each other on the bomber. You ever heard about that place in Oregon? I have, we'll and maybe maybe we one. need to get Tom Pritchard on the Kurt. show to question him about this. Oh Jesus, you got I got some stories about him. He's married though, but he wasn't married at that time. But oh my God, this is a damn crazy shit happened. I don't think he remembers a lot of the stuff, though, because I told him once, and he thinks a dog threw up in his apartment, but it was a girl that I had. <laughs> anyway, it, it's not an apartment. It's like a dumpy as damn motel. Motel. You ever seen the the, the uh, bomber hotel? The motel. I mean, it was like dump, no air condition, nothing, and dirty as hell, nasty. But all the guys stayed there one time or the other, Jesse Ventura, everybody Piper. So anyway, I'm right next to Pritchard, our rooms, right? So... I had, uh, this is a funny one here. I had, uh, either one of us are married or nothing. We're both young. He's a little older than me, but I was like 19. He was probably 22 or something. Anyway, so I had, uh, me, him, Armando Guerrero, Cheech himself, you know, he looked, he acts like Cheech, Cheech from Cheech and Chong. <laughs> he, he, he really looked like, he, he really looked like him then. He even did his, uh, part for him one time in a movie, a stunt or something, because Mondo did a lot of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Gene LaBelle got him hooked up in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. I seen a movie like a couple of years ago. It was like, that guy looks familiar. It was Mondo, like a cop or something, a pretty good part. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? It's Mondo. <laughs> anyway, Mondo. So we're we're hanging together, me, Pritchard, and Mondo. I told you I never drank. So we went to some bar, and what it was is we took some damn mushrooms. It was famous out there in Oregon, mushrooms. I never even took the shit before. Oh, I didn't know what was going to happen. They're fantastic. It was like, Jesus. Yeah, but I took too many, I think, because it's the first time ever. First time ever. And plus, I was on some kind of whatever, Diana Ball or something. Billy Jack was, and everybody had some kind of damn whatever the hell they called it for horses to make them run faster. <laughs> Echopoise or some kind of steroid. I was just like, what the hell are you guys doing to me? Jesus. And Kendo Nagasaki's on one. I said, you're a young boy. Don't. He got so mad. He said, don't. They were giving the shot, you know. He's like, don't do it. You're a young boy. Don't do this. Work out hard. Don't do steroids. <laughs> Everybody else in Flair even told me, what's that, Deca? That's great, Jerry. I was like, okay. You're my role model. Jesus, no, that's great. Okay. Anyway, so I thought Flair said he's the world champion. Shit, it must be great. So anyway, I had some kind of damn uh, – that night I just got really fucked up. We were in a strip bar, me, Mondo, and Tom Pritchard. And uh, it started hitting me, whatever the hell. I think it was either mushrooms or something. Acid one of the other. Anyway. Acid would last longer. If it lasted a long time, it was probably acid. Well, I was acid then. Okay, because the next day, (laughs) oh, God, I was still. So anyway, I never took this shit. So I'm like, what the hell? I thought it was going to be like a pot filling or something. So all of a sudden, the stripper's face started turning into a damn horse. She looked like a horse to me. The horse, you know. And I said, there's a horse. And I was getting too loud, I guess. And they were like, let's get the fuck out of here, man. Pritchard and Mondo, you know, because they were used to it. I guess they were look like they were straight to me. I was like crazy, you know, because uh, we were drinking with it too. And I didn't drink. So I was like acid mixed with drinking with steroid. So I was all fucked up. And then <laughs> they go, they go, let's get out of here. Come on, man. And I was knocking chairs over and everything, stumbling. And then I took one of them out of there though. Somehow one of them girls, you know, <laughs> and then I got the grill back to my uh, bomber dump hotel, you know, motel. 
Yeah. And there was some other, there was so many girls. Then I had some other rat that was staying in my room. She wouldn't <laughs> leave, you know. I wanted her to leave, but it's like I didn't want her to feelings. It's like, when the hell is she ever going to leave? It's like, you're supposed to come in and then you leave after a few minutes, you know, whatever. She wouldn't leave, and I couldn't tell her, like, get the hell out. And then, so she's in my room, right next to uh, Pritchard's, right? Right next door. So I said to Tom, I'm uh, can I take this one in your room, you know, this girl? He goes, no, go ahead, whatever. So then Mondo goes over to my room, and that girl was hot, too. She was, she didn't like Mondo, though. <laughs> And she goes, uh, he goes to my room, the fucker. He still says he didn't do it. But he goes to my room and tells her, hey, come on, me and you now. And he, she goes, what? And he goes, your man's over there with another woman. <laughs> you know, me. And she goes, he's what? He's what? So Pritchard's just out there in his car or whatever the hell he's doing. I don't even know. He's just waiting outside or something. Right by the, it's a dump. I mean, the hotel that was right in front of the, the car is right in front of it, whatever. He's parked. And then, okay, she's so fucking mad, this girl. She goes and my and Pritchard, she don't I mean she don't want to hear Mondo's. She just said, Get the fuck out of here. Where's he at with what girl now? And Mondo's like, He's over there. Come on, me and you. And she she goes, uh, okay. So she goes and gets all the other wrestlers' wives and whatever the hell, because all a lot of them had their wives there. Mike Miller had his wife and girlfriend or whatever, and they were all friends with her, right? So there's like six, at least six girls all mad at me, right? So they're banging on Pritchard. They're banging on I always wanted to tell this damn story because Pritchard, don't, actually, you don't remember. Last time I talked to him. So, and then I heard him tell some story about a dog throwing up in his room. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? A dog? This is a girl. Anyway, they're banging, they're banging on the damn door. Bang, bang. It's a dump, too. Don't forget. So I can hear the door cracking, kind of cracking. So I'm there doing my thing, you know? And it's like... uh and this girl is drunk as shit, too. So she's getting sick, I can tell, you know. I can't say this on the damn, you know, podcast. But anyway, in other words, she's doing what Jake was had his doing in front of all the I got you. And, uh, I caught you. I'm not, on top, I'm not on top of doing anything, so she would be throwing up pretty easy. So anyway, <laughs> they're banging the door. Crack, 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 crack. You can hear it cracking. It's not my room. It's Pritchard's room. It's snowing outside everything. It's fucking snow everywhere. So the bang, I can hear it cracking through, and I can almost see their faces, even like it's so fucking ready to fall down the door. So, and I'm not done, though. So, <laughs> I wasn't going to quit. <laughs> and I didn't quit either. I didn't quit. I waited to, I mean, I was like, fuck this. I'm not, you know, stop it. And then, bam, it fell down the whole fucking door, and they're all no! standing screaming and shit. No! And that, and that girl, and that girl throws up right on cue. She throws up all over Tom's fucking, all over his room everywhere, puking. And they're all watching this, all the girl. And I'm standing there with nothing on, right? And I'm like, oh shit, this is fucking weird. And then I got the hell out of there. I actually turned heel and started telling them, get the hell out of here. What are you doing? Get out of here. And it's like, they're, she's mad at me, but I turned it on her. I was like, what the hell are you doing? You knock his door down. Jesus Christ. So then, uh, and then Pritchard, it was a big, almost caught cops there and everything. Cause, uh, then Pritchard grabbed one of them. I think he got so mad and everything. He grabbed somebody and got him in a sleeper hold or something. One of the girls. No, I don't know about that. I remember something happened. Something like that happened though. It, it was kind of quick though. They broke it up quick. But anyway, what the fuck? So then I, but it was funny as shit. Cause then what happened was, uh, the door is snowing like hell freezing outside, right? The door is all, I mean, completely destroyed. Like, so then they're all gone. Everybody's gone. And we're just sitting there and we're still tripping like hell too. Cause the shit never goes away. I didn't know that. 
I mean, I was laughing like hell, man. I couldn't stop laughing. And it wasn't hitting them like it was me. I guess it was because of my first time, you know. So I was just hysterical laughing about every damn thing. And they were like more like the door, man. What the fuck are we going to do? His door. <laughs> I'm laughing because the puke spritzer's got to clean it up, not me. I just left. <laughs> I went back to my room and they all came to my room. Then Tom and Tom and Mondo came to my room. And then I was just laughing about everything. And then there was another girl. Some, I don't know where she came from. But anyway, Tom kept saying, <laughs> Kfe, Kfe, Kfe. He didn't want her to know that we were taking that, you know. So I was like, "What? I can't." He said, "Quit laughing, man. She's gonna know what the hell you're doing." I was like, "Fuck! I can't stop laughing, man. Jesus!" And then Pritchard stands up and talks, starts talking like Piper. You know how he does that, Piper? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it was like Roddy Piper. I was like going crazy because it was like nonstop for like uh, like two hours. It seemed like for nonstop, just talking about everything. Not a wrestling interview, just talking like it was weird. <laughs> and then. The funniest shit ever happened, though. Everybody got sick of it. And then finally, Mondo left. And then it was just me and Tom, right? And so me and we decided to tape his door up with wrestling tape, you know, white wrestling tape, tape his door back up. And then <laughs> we, we taped it backwards. We didn't realize it like it's the wrong way because the, whatever the <laughs> owner came the next day, it was like, what's going on with this door? You know, what happened last night? <laughs> and he's gotten, I don't know what happened, what happened to that. But anyway, what happened was then Tom, he's still tripping too, but he tripped different than I did because <laughs> I was just laughing. And then he's all of a sudden, he just gets a glass of milk. First, he wanted to have a potato chip sandwich because we didn't have any damn food, you know, wrestlers. We didn't have no, I don't think we even had refrigerators or anything in that dump. You just go to McDonald's or whatever to eat, but it was too late back in those days and it wasn't open. So we're starving now, right? It's like three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Everybody else is gone. They want to have a potato chip sandwich. If Tom said, I was like, potato chip sandwich. Okay. All right. So we did that. And then he pours, he grabs a glass of milk and pours it on his head. I mean, a whole glass. <laughs> All over, all over his head. You know how his hair was back, you know, back then, oh, real yeah. big and big hairdo. So it wasn't quite as big as it was in Smoky Mountain, but he had a lot of hair, and he poured it all over his whole head. It's dripping off his hair. His glasses are on and everything, and he just sat there. At least I never seen him wash it off. Really, I don't remember it ever happening. So I'm just looking at him, and he's freaking, you know, tripping over that. And then we're just sitting there like nothing ever happened. He's got milk dried all over his hair. He's got to get pissed if he hears this. And anyway, then, so then I didn't even realize we had to do a wrestling interview the next morning. <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know because he's used to this shit. I didn't know. He's got to be straight by that time. I'm up all night. I go back to my room, whatever. He's going to go to sleep, I guess. I'm tripping all night. It won't go away. It's like on a, you're on a damn uh, roller coaster going down straight in a, that feeling in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. And it would never stop. Like, it never stopped. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And then they go the next morning. Here comes some uh, the lady uh, commentator. It was like we had to do a wrestling uh it wasn't even a, it was a commercial for some damn Mexican restaurant. I think I told you. No, I didn't. Okay, a Mexican restaurant. They wanted us to do a commercial, me and Pritchard, because we were like the tag team guys or whatever, the tag team champions. And they said, oh, yeah, bring your guys' belts and everything. I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? We got to go do a commercial? I'm still tripping. And then they go, yeah, Mondo's going to come too. I was like, oh, my God, no, I'm going to start laughing now. I know Mondo. And then uh, it was horrible. I can't believe they even aired it. I think they put it on their bloopers. They said that year at the TV station because I, I yelled or something during the thing, like Mark Lewin, you know, that loud yeesh thing. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, because I just started freaking out. They had me talking. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't fucking talk. There ain't no damn way. I'm fucking flipping out. Everything I see, the lights are real bright. They got lights, you know, for the TV thing. It's like real bright lights. And I'm seeing like, oh, my God, my eyes. And then never slept all night. So then they go, what's it like to be, you're going to be wrestling in whatever, some say out, see out or somewhere. And I was like, 
Yeah, I, I said if I wasn't a wrestler, I'd I'd pay to see this show, and then I ran out of shit to say. And Bobby Jaggers sitting there, he always wanted to fucking screw you up, you know. Bobby Jaggers, I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was really jealous, oh, like course. he wanted to be. Top, he was the top. He wanted to be. Oh God, the biggest liar that ever lived. <laughs> lived. I mean, but he wanted. He wanted. He is. I mean, uh, he's he's passed away, but man, that guy. They used to piss me off because they're just like, oh, you quit, man. It's enough. Elvis Presley did not bring you on the stage with him because he recognized you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I told you about it. Even Cowboy Lang was going to pick beat his ass. I told you that already, yeah. remember? Cow- Cowboy Lang, all he had to do was unzip his pants and whip him with his uh, <laughs> one baseball bat right in the head. Anyway, the, uh, I wonder why the rats liked him. I was like, what the fuck, man? And then. I found out why, and then anyway, the uh, and then uh, yeah, Bobby Jaggers is staring at me like he's trying to get me to screw up. I can tell anyway, so I'm like, he did it too because I screamed loud like Mark Lewin, and they just went, "What the hell?" You know, it's supposed to be a commercial, and I'm babyface, and I'm like, "Y'all like a damn maniac." And everybody was looking. I mean, even Dad Wiskowski was there. I remember everybody was there looking, like in the background watching me, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" So then they couldn't figure out what the hell's wrong with him. I don't think they ever want me to talk again <laughs> after that. They, they, I didn't want to tell nobody. Yeah, I'm on acid, you know. <laughs> so anyway, did you have any residual with, heat from the wives and girlfriends of the other wrestlers from doing that thing with the door? You mean? Yeah. The, the like, door what, what was the no. next next time you see all those women? What happens? Oh, the funniest part is the girl that, that was thought she was my girlfriend, I guess, or whatever the hell. She wouldn't leave my room, you know. She just came in there one night and never would never leave. And I was like, uh, I can't hurt her feelings on it because she looked good. But it was just like, Jesus, now I can't get no other girl. She's not my damn wife. And then she'd even go to the uh, the, the matches and say that she's Jerry Gray's girlfriend, try to get in free and everything. And they were like, who the hell is this oh, rat? You keep bringing here. Don, <laughs> just like, nah, I ain't getting no rats in here. They pay. He even tried to charge uh, Raven there to get in. Remember, I think he did have to pay Raven when he first went there to try to be a wrestler, <laughs> try to be a get a job or whatever. But anyway, yeah, Donald was going to let nobody in. But anyway, no. What happened was the girls they ended up liking me for it, I guess, because I mean it was a free. Uh, they got to see everything. <laughs> <laughs> the wives were just like, this is a pretty good show. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know. Nobody acted like they were mad at me except for the girl that, you know, but then she ended up, we ended up living together again a few months later. That's why I said them girl, them girls out there, man, that damn uh, volcano erupted and something happened. <laughs> it, turned, it turned, it made like three girls for every guy appear somehow. The only thing you didn't I have out that. there was Pothead Little Tokyo. That would have made the whole thing even better. <laughs> I think he was there, but because I know Lang, <laughs> Cowboy Lang was. I think that's where I met him. Yeah, because I had a little Camaro back then. It was like, uh, and they they would ride with me. And they said, uh, it's hard to keep from laughing because uh, Cowboy Lang was riding with me and Little Tokyo. And they said, uh, yeah, this is a perfect car for four midgets to ride in. Perfect. That's what I have because <laughs> it's like small Camaro, you know, like a '78 Camaro or whatever it was, <laughs> like smoking the banana. And then, uh, yeah, they were both there definitely. I got him so high too once a little Tokyo. I mean, he was so high, just pot. No, I don't. I didn't do acid ever again in my life after that shit. That fucking killed me almost. Anyway, <laughs> no more acid. So anyway, pot. I did, and I, I got him so high once in Louisiana, and I was riding with Bill Dundee, right? And Bill Dundee would never smoke pot. He, he just like, I guess he just got the fumes from me because he's like, "What the hell are you doing, burning the bonfire back there?" And I was like, hey, "Yeah, hey, you want some?" He's like, "No, fuck." And then uh, he would just let me smoke it, though, one after another. And then Tokyo was with us one time. 
and I got him so damn high. And then he had his match. <laughs> I remember against probably Cowboy Land. It might have been the what was the, who was the black midget uh, little? Uh, well, there was, was the Haiti, Haiti kid. Little, yeah, Haiti him, kid? I think it was him. Yeah, yeah, it was him. It wasn't Cowboy Land in Louisiana. Yeah, it was the Haiti kid. So it was him against. Uh, and usually it's Cowboy. I mean, Little Tokyo was great and you know, a great worker and perfect spots and everything. So he was so fucked up. He was stumbling all over in the match, and Dundee was watching it. It was the Shreveport, that famous arena. Cornette was just talking about the Shreveport uh, where Elvis did the hayride shit and all that yeah, stuff. It was yeah, called yeah. Shreveport Auditorium. That big stage was there. So me and Dundee are sitting on the stage watching it, right? And then he goes, that midget's, uh, I mean, the uh, what you call it, little Tokyo, stumbling all over, fucking up all the good spots they usually do, you know? He goes, what the fuck did you do to my damn midget, mate? <laughs> he said, what the hell? You give him that damn shit. You did it. I was like, oh, God. He was fucked up. That was the worst match I ever seen him have. Yeah, that was so damn funny, the way Dundee's voice was, you know. <laughs> I can't talk about him, but that was funny as hell. Yeah, oh, my God, Oregon story. Well, Kurt Brown, let, let's, he, was, he lived in Eugene. Yeah, he lived okay. in Eugene, but let's save a lot of the Oregon stuff for when we have Kurt. Oh, I, I am, know I am. you guys are going to do something am, together. Yeah. But uh, one last thing before we yeah. stop today. Uh, we talked a little yeah. bit about Austin Idol earlier now. He was a big influence on you. You know, you go back and oh, watch yeah. some of that footage. There really aren't too many people that at ease, that comfortable in their gimmick doing interviews. It really is oh, astounding yeah. how he is so in that role that – and if you know oh, him, yeah. you appreciate it. He was just coming up with stuff off the top of his head, and it sounds so oh, yeah. smooth. When he tells you that he was in San Francisco and then gives you the attendance down to the single yeah. person, that's really, really amazing stuff. I know. I've never heard him never heard him screw up anything. And then, I mean, and then I got when I got to even be around him and stuff, it was, like, so different than the other. It made you lose respect for a lot of the guys when you got to hang around with them, like, if you're an idol or whatever. And it's like, what the hell? This guy's fucking drug act or whatever but he was like still on the car like so classy and everything and then i remember eddie mansfield was being goofy and he kept telling him what the hell's the matter with you eddie what happened to you <laughs> but it was just like <laughs> just the way he would it was the way he would talk it was just like different than everybody else even in the car i mean he wasn't like he wasn't like most of the guys talking about you know rats and all of whatever he was totally different business you know all about making Whatever he did, I didn't see him do anything. He had a couple beers or whatever. That's about it. But he was, yeah, he was definitely classy. And then, uh, yeah, Austin Idol. But the end of that, let me tell you real quick. I forgot that that part of with the what yeah. happened with Kern and Graham. Remember the promotion thing? Oh yeah, yeah. Promo- <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> Jesus, what a damn, what a damn uh, journey that was to get to that. I think yeah, it I started with me asking you, "Tell me about I your don't... TV," <laughs> and then it turned into Jesus all this. Christ. <laughs> My T, yeah, my T. How the hell did my TV go? To, oh, anyway, yeah, somehow. Oh, I did my own, yeah, my own thing, my own show. I told you about how the fair is, how I got all that stuff and everything. Right. But right. anyway, the this is the beginning though. When Kern and them seen, I had a good house, so they decide, oh, let's not, let's keep our business going, you know. So then what happened was, they sent us to Tennessee, and did exactly what I thought was going to happen. They didn't give us a damn check till we got back to uh, Florida. And we had to end up renting a car because that one girl wouldn't uh, drive us all the whole territory in uh, Louisville and all these fucking towns. And then and then uh, we had to rent a car, and then I was going late as I could to every show because I didn't want to be there. And we got to Louisville real late. I remember the time's different there, I think, right? Louisville's different from Tennessee, I think, one hour or something. Uh, well, it depends, so we yeah. Some parts of Tennessee are central time, and then Louisville is eastern Somehow. time. Yeah, we got there like real late. I remember an Eddie. Eddie Gilbert already know me in Louisiana real good. So he goes, uh, 
Jerry, you know, you've been here a million times. You know what the time is here <laughs> in front of whoever it was, the Waller or somebody. I was like, Eddie, <laughs> just ribbing me. Anyway, then, uh, anyway, on that Cheech and Chong thing, I never told the end of the damn stories. What the hell's the matter with me? The Cheech and Chong van we rode in with Eddie and the girl he's getting ready to marry his first wife, Terrier, might have been her name. I don't think they were married real long, but we broke down on the way home. So it was like a funny as shit because. We, a tow truck had to tow us, so we just sat in the. Usually, they don't let us. You, you stay in the, you know, the, the vehicle you're in. Usually, when they tow you, you know. Yeah. Well, there were so many. There were so many of us. They just let us stay in the in the van, <laughs> and then we were all fucked high as hell. And then uh, it was funny as shit because then I had that seizure thing. I remember, I, and I told they thought I was ribbing them. I told I told uh, Eddie, get my pills, my my pills for my seizure, and he was like, get his pills, Fergie. What the fuck? He thought I was like, what the hell's the matter with you? Uh, <laughs> He was halfway laughing, like, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, I'm having a seizure. Stop the van. And they were like, what the hell's going on? And they were looking for my pills. I didn't even have them in my bag. I was so, something happened. I don't know what the hell was wrong with me. Diana Ball or something. There wasn't no other drug in them. So then I got out of the van, and I was like, what the fuck? And they wanted to take me to the hospital and all this shit. And I said, nah, nah. And then we got to the show, and I ended up doing like a 30-minute match. Like, And Eddie was like, what a fucking work. He worked that long and that good of a, good of a match. And you fucking worked this. I said, no, fuck, I just get in the ring. I, it, you know, you forget about how you feel. And he was like, yeah, all right. He just wanted to be in the front seat because I had to take his seat in the, the front. I was back in the, everybody else was in the back shit. I was at first, and then I wanted to be up front, you know, where the window was. They thought <laughs> I was just doing the seat. Anyway, that anyway, that promotional thing with Graham and Curran. So Matsuda kept giving me information that they were trying to do to kill my, get me, you know, I couldn't get fares because he kept uh, trying to block it, you know, whoever was calling him, trying to. Say I can't get this guy. I can't get Terry Funk or whatever. Remember I told you that. Uh, Kern, yeah. I heard somebody was calling calling the fair or whatever. And then the guy was like, I think Terry Funk called them maybe just to tell him, yeah, I'm gonna be there. And then so then I got the show, and then they were really pissed. I remember. And then the funniest part was then they even got Dusty um, down here. Dusty came back. Yeah, remember that's when that? they changed the name to the PWF, the Professional Wrestling Federation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then we were really, then we were really, I had I had all the damn fares. They were so mad because that's where they made all their money, really, because they were going to get like, you know, eight or ten grand for five, six fares, you know, that year. So then I got pretty much every fare that they couldn't get any of them, even Orlando right here, that Gordon Soley had been years, you know, he's the one that usually set the fares up and all the stuff. He'd go to those trade shows for them, and he went to the uh, Orlando fair. I already had it booked and everything, and he told the guy, hey, we've been with you for whatever it was 20 years and the guy was like yeah well i don't like to say this because i like mike but the guy said mike graham's not a businessman because i went in there and talked to the guy you know i didn't just call him on the phone i went there and met with the guy and yeah. talked to him about who i could get and everything and, and mike was kind of like you know just telling him fuck you you know we're the biggest shit you know kind of like cocky like we're bigger than anybody so then i got it though and then ray candy called me he was working for them pwf or whatever he called me from the uh after he had done the, the show at Orlando with Dusty and everybody, and they weren't drawing very good at all either. And he goes, Jerry, <laughs> Ray Candy, you know, you're, you're, you know who it is, right? Yeah, of Ray course. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, I just, I mean, he was a funny guy, funny as hell. So he goes, uh, he was a good friend. And, and he goes, uh, he called me and goes, Jerry, they're all talking about you down here. He said, Dusty said, what the hell's fucking Jerry Gray? I took all the damn fares. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he said, he said, I'll work for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, they're really going to be pissed. I was like, oh, you sure? You sure? And he was like, yeah. I remember even Brian Adams' uh, uh, crush, 
he, he wanted to work for me when I was in Japan with him, you know. He was like, I'll work for you. But, yeah, I used a lot of damn guys over the years. But, yeah, that's what happened. I just kept running, running, and they finally went out of uh, – what did happen? They just went out of business. Dusty said on an interview he lost, like, what, either a hundred grand or something by doing that. I don't know if they got I don't know, but he was in yet. and out. He was in and out pretty quick because he started there, what, spring yeah. of 89? Maybe maybe yeah, he, end of winter 89, and he was in the WWF by the summer of 89. Yeah, yeah. But he did an interview, and he said – he acted like he wasn't happy because he said, "Yeah, I went back to Florida, tried to bring it back, lost about I think he said either seventy five or a hundred grand or something. I don't know what the hell what they did, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. And then I thought after the the years, you know, that I thought we still had heat kind of because I I got all I guess that's what they were counting on the fares or whatever. That's what I was counting on too. Though I was like, shit, that's business, and ain't, ain't like I I just did what they wanted the fare and they took mine." I mean, I got it instead of they did. Instead of they them. I mean, so anyway, what happened was uh, then I finally had to see Mike Graham. I never have seen Steve Kern since then, but Mike Graham, uh, I seen him at that something they had in 2012 in uh, St. Pete, Florida, some kind of Florida Hall of Fame or something. So I went. They had me come there, and Mike Graham was there, and he I hadn't seen him since all that happened. You know, Mike Graham. That's right before he. He uh, killed himself too, like three months, I think it was before that. Yeah. So I, I went up to him and said, because I had no hair and I just had chemo and everything. Nobody even knew who I was, really. So I just said, uh, that's back when I first got to all this crap. And then I go, Jerry Gray. And he goes, Jerry Gray. He just held his head like, oh my God. I mean, he wasn't mad at nothing. He could just tell he was freaking out like, oh my God, that's so many years. I was just like, okay, because <laughs> we don't have heat. And then, uh, yeah, I've never seen Kern since. I don't think he gives a shit either. Really. So many years. I mean, everybody forgets, it seems like, after only a couple of years, usually. Yeah, but Idol's the one that did it. Uh, first, it was Greg Valentine. First, it was Greg Valentine. Lanny Poffo was at first. And I really, when I rode with him, I know you're wanting to quit this, but I'll never no, stop keep talking. Going, keep you, going, keep going, keep going. The only time I feel good when I talk about wrestling. But anyway, it's the, uh, the uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Lanny Poffo. First, I liked. Because I like that gimmick, you know, bleached hair, cocky, whatever, heel. He was a heel in Ohio wrestling, Angelo and Lanny Poffo. Then he had bleached hair. You ever see the pictures of when he was young? Ed oh, yeah. Lanny? Sure. He was built built better than, a lot bigger than Randy at that time. Always. And yeah. he, uh, yeah, he looked, I mean, back then he didn't do, he did a little bit of stuff, but he was more like a heel. I liked him better as a heel. He didn't do so much stuff like uh, back, whatever that was, cartwheels and all that. So anyway, he was more like, rough heel and he uh i like that gimmick he had and everything bleached hair and then greg valentine had the bleached hair because uh, i guess when they would bleed or whatever it looked really good to want but anyway i like that gimmick it was first johnny fargo greg valentine then lanny poffo later 75 or whatever and then flair and then austin idol though when i seen him it was like that's the perfect what i want you know to be like <laughs> and then but i didn't like it when i rode with lanny poffo because i told him that i was uh because i was end up working him a lot in mid-south and I was calling all the spots to him and everything, and he couldn't believe I'd only been working for a few years. And he said, I've been working 10 years, and you're telling me what to do. So we had to make a trip to world class. I told you about that. We met all the Von Erics yeah. saying, telling me who they were like 10 times. And <laughs> yeah. he, me, he, we rode together, actually, there from a long way, Shreveport to Dallas or whatever it was, me and Lanny. And uh, Bill Watts booked us over there. And then the whole trip, I told him that he was my – because he was like – I liked him the best when I was about that age, 10 or 11 or whatever. First, it was Greg Valentine, then he left the territory, and then it was Lanny, Poffo, and Angela. And then uh, 
so what happened was I told him how good I liked him and all this shit, and he was like, that made me right then say, fuck it. He's, he's not my favorite now, after all. Because he goes, what, are you queer for blonde hair guys or something? I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Just me and him riding together? I was like, oh, my God. This is weird. He goes, uh, he started saying, like, a bunch of shit pissed me off. And I was like, okay, forget it. Like, idol didn't do anything. That's why I said it was like, it makes you change your mind when you find up, meet some of the guys, you know. Orton, Bob Orton Jr. is the one, the match I want to see. My first match ever on a Mid-Atlantic Wrestling in 83. Okay, I asked Jake, is any good, right? <laughs> so then I go out there, and they put me against him, right? So I go out there with Orton. I didn't even know how tough he was or anything about him. And then we're doing the match, and I wanted to take, I wanted to impress everybody because they hadn't seen me. Dory hadn't seen me for a couple of years since I first started in Florida. So I go out there, and he wasn't going to sell anything, I guess. Orton was it? I got to see this match. It has to be. It was taped, you know, on TV. So I did. They said the whole dress. Jake told me the whole dressing room almost fell off the chairs and popped Flair and everybody because they were watching the monitor, you know, because Orton, I, I grabbed him. To, he wasn't going to sell. So I just grabbed him in a side salto, you know, like Harley Race does. Yeah. He uh, he stood there like he's going to block it. And I lifted weights all the time and you know, a lot. I mean, I was strong and he, he was going to block it, though. So I, I did it anyway. I picked him up, almost dropped him on his head, almost dropped him on his head. And he he and he he had to go with it and he had to sell it. And Jake said everybody almost fell out of the chair. Uh Flair, everybody, funks all of them. Like, holy shit. He Bob he suplexed Bob Orton on TV where he didn't want to go with it. And then they got over with all of them, definitely. I wanna see the damn I know it's on somewhere and somebody's gotta have it. I've been looking for it, but it's a TV tape from eighty three. I don't know what damn month it was. Oh shit. Um I'd say like we'll June or it. something like that. June, we'll June of 83. So he blocks it and he goes anyway. He gets a damn suplex <laughs> or whatever the hell it was. Side salt. I did that to him a few times. I remember. And he, I learned a lot from him though. Cause if he didn't get the heat right when he said, he'd kick the shit out of me with his, I mean, a boot right to the ribs, you know, he'd say heat. And if you don't do it right then, he's going to kick your stiff as shit. <laughs> and then say it again, heat. Because he's already mad at me anyway for making him look like shit on TV, you know. He, I'm sure he didn't like me already after that, what I did the first time I met him. <laughs> and then uh, I worked him a million times after that. And he'd always try, try to get payback for that shit, probably. Suplex me on fucking TV. I didn't want to go with it. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened with him. So the promotional war ended when uh, they all lost. I don't know how much money or whatever. I just kept. I, I just moved to a different state. Like I said, I wasn't going to try to keep running down here because I did a lot of high school benefits and stuff like that. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen there. There could be five people show up sometime. Well, Depends Florida, on where it is. But, yeah, well, Florida seemed pretty burned out, you know, by that point. Yeah. The end of the 80s, let yeah. alone if you had continued just doing Florida in the 90s, it would have killed oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. The, the benefits for high schools were pretty good, but not if you just go to like some civic center armory or something, that's never no good because <laughs> the high schools, at least you can get them behind the booster clubs and all that to help promote it. But that was usually all right, but it was way better. The fairs, I started doing casinos too. I forget how I got casino. Oh, the same thing. The trade show I went to like a casino entertainment director came through. How'd they pay? Yeah, it was even better because then they gave you like the hotels, everything free, you know, and food and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The casino, the casinos were, yeah. I mean, it was all good. All of them were good, but the casinos were better because of that part. You didn't have to even when you fly the guys in the big night. You didn't have to even get them. They just had the hotel already right there in the casino and all the food. They give you all the food free, all kinds of stuff. 
Yeah, that was good casino. So I had a real big one up in Michigan. TNA ended up getting it after I got sick. Um, Soaring Eagle Casino in some part of Michigan. It's a huge casino, I mean. And uh, I had it for a few years until I got sick and all that. And I just couldn't. Last time I tried to fly, I almost died. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell's going on? And I thought I had blood clots and everything, too. So, yeah, it was like... And I can't drive. There ain't no way. They're like a thousand miles. I'd be dead. I can't even go to Tampa. They have that Legends Lunch, you know, in Tampa. Yeah. You heard about that? Yeah. Brian, I, just, Brian I, just, does it. I just saw pictures of yeah. the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. They always want me to go to that, but it's like, it almost killed me. I do this one they have right here in Orlando. Alex Porto has one in uh, Orlando with Brian Blair now, too, every couple of months. And then, uh, I mean, just that short thing, 30 minutes away. It's like sitting there all day because I'm. I have to lay a lot because all the pain and everything I have everywhere. But uh, I'm even taking oxygen half the time, too. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so it's like I can't really sit all day. That was really rough that day because we had the Legends lunch, and then they did the benefit, that show, too, like three hours after that. So it was like, oh, my God, that was a long day for me. Well, let me ask you this. Like, You've been around for such a long time. When exactly did Brian Blair become the mayor of wrestling? He's like the president of the Cauliflower <laughs> Alley Club. He's organizing uh, all these get-together. When did this happen? I don't know, because the Cauliflower Alley, who was the president before him? Bachwinkle or? Fez. Or, I th- oh, and maybe it was Bachwinkle uh, uh, right before him, yeah. actually. Maybe, yeah. After, yeah, yeah. yeah, after Fez, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't figure that out either, really, because, I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but, uh, you know, I like Brian Blair, but. I already got hockey talk upset because I, I didn't say he got beat up. I said, where Jake did, remember, on the interview? Yeah. And hockey thought I met. I thought I said Jake got beat up, and then hockey was, didn't see the guy from behind. I forgot they were four big cowboys. I forgot about that part of the story because he wrote and said, there was four big cowboys, Jerry. <laughs> hockey said, four big cowboys. Man, come on. <laughs> and they hit me from behind. I said, yeah, I forgot. Jake's the one that got his ass kicked because he was just sitting there. That guy was laying on Jake, and he was trying to – he seen him. He was right to Jake's face. I mean, it wasn't like Jake didn't know he was coming. And Honky was facing Jake, so that guy was from behind him. No, Honky, I mean, he could definitely fight better than Jake. I know that for sure. He was Wayne Ferris. He, I learned a lot from him. When You ever see him work when he was Wayne Ferris, the oh, blonde bomber? Yeah, of course. And he did good promos, yeah, he was, too. He was like, oh, he was shit. almost like Ron oh, Wright yeah. in like the way he would really yeah. get like, yeah. 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 He was good. He reminds me, too, of Sam Bass. Is that the guy's name? Yeah. The, you ever seen Sam Bass? The way something about him, I don't know. I think it's Sam Bass. Lawler's old, old, old manager, the one who passed away in the car wreck? Yeah. I think this. I I've think seen a little bit of footage of him. Interviews. I think the interview, it was either, you know, I think it was, I think it's him. I can't remember the face. It must be. Anyway, he, uh, but he was really good when I first started. That's when Austin Otto was there too in Ohio, that Louis Tillett and Buddy Fuller thing. Yeah. He, uh, he was there. He was there as lover boy, Wayne Ferris. And then, but he was like every night he was, uh, teaching me stuff. I mean, cause he'd already been working a few years and he was, uh, I remember he, uh, he would work me every night almost. That's where we knew each other from. And, uh, the people would cheer for me because I was a young guy, you know, and they wouldn't even make it. He would get so mad because he'd say, I'm not doing anything to you people. Make a noise for me like that or something. It was funny. Isn't it? He was really pissed for real, I think. And then uh, one time he had uh, an angle with Austin Idol. He had to put uh, Louis Tillette's idea to put Alka-Seltzer on my mouth after he gets me in the sleeper, you know, Wayne Ferris? Yeah. 
So he's got, he's got, they had a TV show too and everything. I'd like to see them damn tapes too. Louis told me shit 20 years ago that he had stuff laying around even when he started the Hulk and the Idol and everybody. No way. Like, Fuck. Yeah, but this here. is back. Shit. I got a little tape, you know, the answer machine cassette tape, those little ones back in the yeah. early 90s or whatever. I think it was 96 or 97. I called Louie and talked for like an hour and I taped it on the little ads. I still have it somewhere. Oh, you got to find that. Know. Yeah, I know, because he told me, like, he he didn't want to talk about wrestling though, too much, though. He was, you know, kind of mad at the business, I guess, because he, he had to, he started, to, he, I mean, he did good, though. He started his own French restaurant, and he lived on a golf course, last thing I heard, and did something there. Had a big house on a golf course, and he had a French restaurant in Charlotte, and then he moved somewhere. I can't remember now, but anyway, he, he talked a lot on the phone about, then he kept saying, what are you doing besides that? <laughs> but I kept talking about wrestling, and I thought, I told him I was doing like fairs, getting like ten grand. He was like, "Really, Jesus, ten grand?" I told him Greg Valentine worked for me because he was big with Greg. Remember in uh, Los Angeles when Louis booked it, he was Greg worked with him a lot back in yeah. the seven, early seventy. He said, "Greg," he said, "You got his number? Can I have his number?" And he couldn't believe that I had you know Greg's number, and he worked for me now. And <laughs> anyway, he was he was nice, but he uh, he said, "Yeah," I said, "Do you have any tapes of that when you Ohio?" I can't remember the name of the promotion even. It was only lasted like a couple of months. Um, God, what the hell did they call it? I don't even remember. But anyway, he said, yeah, I have some out in the garage laying in a box somewhere. Even when I started the Hulkin, because really he did the one that gave Hogan, you know, the break. Even Hogan says it in his book, Louis in uh, Alabama. Louis to let, got that big match with him and Andre and all that. Yeah. Louis took care Which, of a lot of whatever. guys. Idol gives Louis a lot yeah, of credit Idol. too. Yeah. I know. He, he told me that. I didn't even know when I first trained with Louis. I had the boots even. God, I don't have those anymore. I gave them to some kid. I gave my first boots I ever had were had stars on them, like idle, big stars, you know, on the side. Yeah. Just like that. And I gave them to some little kid in Oregon, I remember, when I got a different pair. His mom told me he still had them, too. That's why I seen him. And he's grown up, you know, or whatever. It's the only thing he still has, those boots. But anyway, I had the boots like that at training, like one of the first guys at the training school. I'm really the only one that even started wrestling, I think, pretty much besides the black guy, Larry Hamilton. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he, yeah. him and I was one of the ones, but anyway, we, and I, right when I walked, I was working out hard as hell, even though I was, I think I was still 17 really. And Louis seen me and I, I got the new boots, you know, the stars on them. And he goes, I said, Austin, Idol is my favorite. And he goes, yeah, I started the idol. He said, uh, he looked like you back then, like, you know, power because I wasn't ripped up. I was just big, you know, like a power lifter looking. And he goes, he was like you big, big like this and i was like oh my god it's a big compliment ever <laughs> he was like me oh my god i was freaking out like oh my god he said i look like idol's body <laughs> and then uh yeah he told me that and i didn't know if it was true or not and then when i hear all the stories idol says i'd found out and plus when i worked for uh louis finally up there in that ohio thing and here comes austin idol walking from the apartment they had as their office buddy fuller and I don't even had to stand with him at first. Austin Idol, it was Buddy Fuller, Austin Idol, Buddy Fuller's wife, his whole family looked like. And then uh, Louie, all of them stayed in some apartment. And then it was like their office, too, I guess, in Dayton, Ohio. And I first walked, drove there and walked up, me and Brian Hilder, right, I remember. And uh, there comes Louie out there telling me, blah, 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 whatever. And then here comes the Idol walking. I was like, oh, my God, there he is, Austin Idol, Jesus. He walks up to me. I was just like, it's so weird. It's like fucking, you know, Elvis Presley or somebody, your idol walking up to you. And he comes up to me and goes, 
Jerry, how you doing? I just I seen you on the tube down there. I guess he lived in Tampa and, and watched the TV show I just did down there for Eddie Graham. And I had the headband like him, the robe like him, <laughs> the uh, boots with stars on it. And so he's, he said, "You look, you look good." And I was like, "Yeah, oh God." He probably thinking, "What the hell is the guy's copying me exactly?" But he, I mean, he said that to me. I was like, "Oh my God, that was the biggest shit ever." I, I like your style. Well. I like your style. Yeah, you you look good. I've seen you on the TV. Uh, what is that? I remember one time my nose was bleeding. He ribbed me one time. My nose kept bleeding. I had a bad thing, but they loved it. Buddy Fuller kept saying, that's worth $50 extra every shot. You can bleed like that. My nose would bleed. <laughs> it would just bleed like I had to, some shit. They had to cauterize it, doctors, to make it quit <clears throat> bleeding, but it'd bleed like hell during the matches and everything. Everybody tried to get it to bleed. Moondog, uh, Sailor White, remember him, the real Moondog? Yeah, the original. The, well, the original the, yeah. of the tag team, he, not, the, not the original Moondog, it yeah. was Moondog main. Oh, yeah, he was there, too. Yeah, he was there, too. Uh, he's the one that got in the fight with Billy Robinson and beat the shit on after he got him drunk, Billy Robinson. That really happened. The Billy Robinson kept doing bad shit to everybody, and Sailor White got him real drunk first, though, and then he beat the hell out of him. Anyway, Sailor White, he was a nice guy. He used my car every damn minute, though. I never had a car hardly because he always wanted to borrow it. <laughs> but anyway, he uh, he bit my nose and everything. I remember trying to get to bleed. It wouldn't bleed one time on TV. He wanted to get over it. And my nose wouldn't bleed for one time. So he's popping me in the nose and everything. Come on, mate. And your nose won't bleed. He was from Newfoundland or somewhere. <laughs> he was like, he even bit it and everything. I was like, what the hell? Come on, man. <laughs> it ain't bleeding. So anyway, my nose starts bleeding in the car with me and Idol. And uh, I'm in the back seat. And Al Perez is driving and Idol's there. And uh, my nose starts bleeding again, like always. And then he goes, you taking any drug? And I was like, uh, well, speed. And he's like, speed. He was revving me. And he goes, well, is it pharmaceutical or off the street? And I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is the funniest part. I said, uh, I got it from my dad. And he goes, your dad give you speed. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, no. <laughs> Cause he was ribbing me. I think he was just looking like, oh my God. What a horrible father. <laughs> anyway, I said, it's not from the speed. You know, it's not from the speed. And so I got a bloody nose all the time. <laughs> it was funny as hell. Is that pharmaceutical or off the street? <laughs> and I, I could, I could, I went, I didn't want to say pharmaceutical because I was like, uh, I'm going to screw up the word and he's going to really rip me then. He's so smart. I, you know, I was like, oh God, he's going to think I'm an idiot if I say it. I said, yeah, and he went, say the word. What is it? <laughs> Pharmaceutical. <laughs> I never did say it. I was well, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I was intimidated like hell. Yeah. Eddie Mansfield, the biggest goof ever. I told Eddie Mansfield on the Cornette story. I mean, uh, thing, remember? Yeah. Oh, my God, that guy, that guy. What about he when he was, was running? Him. What about when he started running in Florida in the early 90s? Oh, IWF. Well, I wanted to kill him. Yeah, horrible. You ever see that shit? Oh, my God. It aired on TV for... in New York. I did see it. Yeah, it was everywhere, but it was just, like, so annoying. I mean, his voice commentating and the same crap over and over. It's like, I don't think, what the hell? It seemed like the same show every week or something. I don't know. Half the guys he had were my guys. I trained. Chubby like MC? Was Chubby MC one no. of your guys? <laughs> no, that wasn't. No, he wasn't, but Billy Gunn. No, that guy wasn't, definitely. Billy Gunn. Um, the other guy, what the hell was his name? Uh, Bart Gunn? I still see him. The guy ended up being, no, not Bart, but Billy. And uh, the other guy, um, the big guy that was a tag team champion. Thunder big and Lightning? Bill. 
one of them a little bit, but the big till, the guy that was, uh, the big till. God, what the hell was this? He was on TNA as, uh, Fia Delta Slam or something, Fia Delta Slam, the big, huge guy, like 350 pounds. Um, I can't remember what they called him on IWF. He was the tag remember. team champion with, uh, Powerhouse Parker, Tim Parker, and the other big guy, whatever the hell they called him. But I started like almost half the guys on there. Anyway, and it was all my guys, so it's like, yeah, Eddie Mansfield's a big deal. Fucking just use my guys, train your own people. I seen him once too somewhere, and I was ready to kill him. He's like five foot six, you know, because I didn't like him from having to stay with him, and he acted like he was a big star. And I, Brian Hildebrand saved me. I told you to get out of that damn yeah. hotel with Eddie Mansfield. <laughs> yeah. You can stay at our, you can stay at our college dorm with ten people. I was like, yeah, that'd be better than fucking staying with him. Oh damn, room, Jesus. He's like every minute. He's like on the microphone and in front of a crowd. It's bright lights, big city, all the pretty ladies with his redneck voice. And I was like, oh, my God, come here, away from this fucking idiot. And everywhere he'd go, he'd dress in suits. He thought he was Ric Flair. He's like five foot six. He wasn't a bad worker, but he was just fucking goofy. Now, he was a good worker. Hell. That was the thing. Like, he was actually yeah, I know. pretty was good. good in the ring. He copied Dick Slater. Yeah. Yeah, he copied Dick Slater, exactly. I mean, just like watching Dick Slater, Tully Blanchard, same shit. It's like watching Dick Slater, both of them, really, to me. Um, Dick Slater's better though. Nobody knows how good Dick Slater really was though, because he had that car wreck even real bad. They said it damaged his brain some, but I thought he was still even good then. They said he was so good before that car wreck he had with Terry Funk. You heard about that? Yeah. And uh, and he did something to his brain, but they seemed pretty. I hadn't heard that part of it until you just said it. Yeah, they said it did something to him, and but I don't know. To me. He seemed like he, I mean, how could he be a booker in Mid-South and everything if he was something off his brain? But anyway, he uh, he still looked hell of a good match as I thought. Everywhere I ever seen him, when I worked him, he was good. Um, but they said he was, like, really good before that happened. I mean, it's really good. Um, but he he did a shoot in there, though. It was pretty weird. Um, did you ever see that one where he's, no, I never he's saw older? That. Like the, no. the only one he ever did, I don't know who did it maybe high spots or somebody, but the only one he ever did, but it was just like the stuff he said on there, man, it was all totally not happening. He said he was the booker in Mid-South, Texas, Charlotte, and all of them at the same time. Oh, that's... Like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, that know, wasn't no exactly way. how it happened. Yeah. I know, because Ole really, Ole really did, like somewhere Atlanta and Mid- Mid-Atlantic once, but not... I mean, Slater was like his interview, just some of the stuff he said, but he's still so damn. The tough guys are always so, uh, you know, uh, what you would call it, no ego. Like, as far as like, he won't brag and say all the people he kicked their asses, you know. They said, what about Sting? He had a problem with Sting one time. He went, he didn't even say, like, yeah, I beat his ass. He just said, well, we had a little thing happen and we straightened it out. <laughs> it's like what the hell it's like the tough guys the guys that aren't tough will be like yeah I beat his ass and it's like you know they're lying there because it's like bullshit even Ming on his interview he did somewhere he, he's just like so you know so mild and yeah. like yeah alright he's like nah yeah something happened to the guy you know and I got in trouble a little bit <laughs> he don't even say like yeah get the fucker's nose off broke his ribs in five seconds. <laughs> he said, Jesse Barr, yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I had the eye, but then I didn't pull it out. That's not true. I didn't pull. <laughs> and everybody says, it's always different. You know, everybody says, some people say it's in Puerto Rico with Jesse Barr. It's yeah. like, it's different states, countries, everything. You never know what the hell really happened. I don't know, because he don't look like he has a glass eye on me. I've seen on Facebook, he's on his pictures and everything. He's on there. I think it's friends with him, Jesse Barr, but he, uh, 
I don't think he pulled it very high out. And then Billy Robinson, they said, uh, Maivia. Did yeah. they say he pulled Billy Robinson's eye out? Peter Maivia. What yeah. the fuck? Why's why, why's he got eyes? <laughs> he didn't have no glass eye. <laughs> you know, he didn't have a glass eye I've ever seen. You know, it looks. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Well, and he locked it through a glass window. <laughs> yeah, that was the other part. Save so. Yeah, well, you know what yeah. I was going to say, Jerry? Uh, I got to go in a minute just because yeah. uh, I'll, oh, I'll be, I'll be honest here on the recording. It's 1038 p.m. on Sunday night. This was kind of an impromptu thing. I was just messaging with Jerry. We just dropped the new 605, and I said, uh, hey, let's set up something. We're going to record something later this week with him and Kurt Brown. And and Jerry started mentioning some of his stories, and I said, you know what? There's no time like the present. Why don't we just start recording something now? And as we're doing this, I'm sitting here thinking – I don't know how I'm going to roll this out because it's one story right into another one. There's no ending. The ending comes four hours later. But you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what, Jerry. How about, you know, we'll we'll negotiate this right here on the air. How about we release this as a special episode later this week? We'll plug the GoFundMe and we'll just call it a conversation with Jerry Gray. Yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds good. Well, before we wrap things up, you know, we didn't intend on this and it just worked out. (laughs) Tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. Jerry, of course is battling a host of health issues. He's been battling cancer for a long time. Stage four. Uh, it can't be easy. It can only be tough, and it certainly drains him of all of his finances. He did a lot of big shows, a lot of successful shows. That money's all gone, and Jerry can use whatever help we can give him. I've sent money in. I know a lot of other listeners have. I know Travis Heckle has gone above and beyond to help get yeah. the word out and get people in. So, Jerry, before we wrap things up, just uh, give us a little bit of uh, – I can't speak. Give us a little bit of an update on your health and uh, let the listeners know whatever you want to say to them before we wrap things up. Well, I just appreciate everything you and all the other 605, the mothership, and all Travis Heckle is definitely helping a lot too, and everyone's helping me. I mean, I really appreciate it. Even Hockey Tom Man, he didn't put it on the GoFundMe, but he sent me through PayPal money, and Bushwhacker, all of them have been helping, and it's really helping me a lot. I mean, I don't know what I would have done without this. It's getting so bad, but my health is, I mean, I'm scared to even go like I know so much for you know bills and everything and that's what they want me to take care of some of that before they can even do more tests i need like to have a pet pet scan done where they check your whole body for because they don't even know if it's spread they said they can't find where it is but the tumor markers are showing that something again and then that's why i said so this is going to help me get the bills straightened out so i can get some more tests that i need done and medicines and everything so but i said uh, like i said everything i appreciate so much for everything everybody's done Really appreciate it, Brian. You know, I appreciate it too, Jerry. You're a good guy, and we want to do everything we can to help. So uh, on behalf of myself, any listeners listening out there, please, whatever you can do to help out. If you enjoy Jerry on the 605, and he's been a regular on the show lately, and this is now a an impromptu special episode. If you enjoy him on the show, if you find what he tells to be entertaining, if you enjoy his stories, if you enjoy learning a little bit about history that you didn't know, then consider helping out. Every little bit helps. Every little bit. Every dollar. Every cent helps. Once again, tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. But uh, that's it. Let's uh, let's end this recording. It started a uh, spur of the moment. We'll end it right here. <laughs> For the Golden Boy, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!